Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Uh, 
to replicate uh, the discrimination and mistreatment that happens uh, because of racism. Uh, our guest for today's program is Mrs. Jane Elliott. Uh, Mrs. Elliott, uh, are you with us? Yes, I certainly am. You may be sorry, but I am. <laughs> you may not I, like I, that person who gave you this advice again. <laughs> you may stop talking to him. The, uh, when I spoke with uh, Mrs. Elliott yesterday, she, she said she was uh, coming with uh, no holes barred. She was going to be speaking honestly, and she said she was uh, probably going to disrupt quite a few listeners Sunday afternoon or evening. So uh, we are definitely prepared and ready for her to speak honestly about racism. Uh, for folks who might not be familiar with the Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes study or just uh, who Jane Elliott is, could you give us uh, some of your background information, please? Oh, well, I was teaching third grade the day after Martin Luther King Jr. was killed. And I can't, that, I get sick to my stomach when I think of that day to this day. And that was a long time ago. And and I didn't know how to explain why anybody would shoot Martin Luther King Jr. or why Martin Luther King Jr. was out in the street. I didn't know how to explain that to my students. When I asked them what they knew about people, about blacks, which is the term we used at that time, those students in all-white, all-Christian Riceville, Iowa, knew every negative stereotype you have ever heard about black people, and some of them said things that I had never heard. And that day, and every time I did the exercise after that, I said to the students, how do you know these things are true? And without exception, they said, because my dad said so. And I did that exercise in the Riceville School for, from 1968, practically every year, until 1984 when I left the classroom and went to using the exercise with so-called adults in corporations all over the United States and in other countries. I was appalled at how comfortable my third graders and my good Christian third graders were to say ugly, ugly things about people with whom they had never had an experience. The things I learned that day were so shocking that... When I told the teachers, I went down to the teacher's lounge at noon to tell the other two third grade teachers what was happening in my classroom. I needed some support because such ugly things were happening. And I was telling these third grade teachers, there were a number of teachers in the teacher's lounge, including the two third grade teachers. One was about 54 and the other was 60 at the time. And when I finished telling those teachers the effect that being discriminated against on the basis of eye color was having on my all-white third graders the older of those, like the 54-year-old third-grade teacher said, I don't know how you have time for all that extra stuff. It's all I can do to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. Well, she hadn't taught reading, writing, and arithmetic yet. She might as well have done the extra stuff. The other one said, and I'll never forget it as long as I live, there are sounds you can't scratch out of your mind's ear. I can't scratch out of my mind's ear the day my little, the sound my father died, the day my little sister died in our house. I can't scratch that out of my mind's ear. And that's the effect that that statement from that woman had on me. I've never been able to forget it. And I've never been able to forgive it. She said, I don't know why you're doing that exercise. I thought it was about time somebody shot that son of a bitch. Whoa. This was, <laughs> this was a teacher. This was a third grade teacher who had been molding young children's minds for years. And this was her reaction to the killing of Martin Luther King, Jr., I had thought that I would stop the exercise at noon because too many ugly things were happening in my classroom. But after that woman said that, there was no way I could stop that exercise. I determined in that instant 
that no student of any age will ever leave my presence with those attitudes unchallenged. I will never allow a student to leave my classroom and be, when they leave, as ignorant about racism as that 60-year-old woman was. And no student leaving my classroom has ever left as ignorant as that 60-year-old teacher was. If I accomplish nothing else in my life, every time I'm with somebody who makes those remarks, and I was with somebody who did that again three days ago, who made the very same kinds of remarks, and they are people over 75. And I thought, no, I will not listen to this from you any more than I will listen to that from a third grader in 1968 or from a 60-year-old woman in 1968. That day day is indelibly... It, it is indelibly there on my brain. I will never forget as long as I live. And if I can't forget that, how in the devil do we say, we white people say to people of color, why don't you just get over it? And that's what we're saying right now. It's over. Forget it. It's not over. You dare not forget it. Those who forget the mistakes of the past are doomed to repeat them. We must not forget it. And don't for one moment think that having a black president means that we are no longer racist in this country. Well, wait a minute. We, we, I'm just playing uh, the, the non-white adversary. Don't do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've, we've made a lot of progress. There were a ton of white people who voted for President Obama. Um, I mean, we you remember what the it. choices were? Do you remember what the choices were? Sarah Palin uh, or McCain. Barack Obama? Give me a break. <laughs> that was no choice. That was a fiasco. What in the world are you talking about? That was no choice. The Republicans did not want to win that election, and so they put on the ballot someone who would guarantee them a loss. And that's what what they did, and that's what happened. And we're lucky that it happened. I am so glad they were afraid. I am so glad the Republicans were afraid to to, uh, go into that election intending to win. They knew they couldn't clean up the mess they'd made. Hmm. That isn't the first time they've done that. You don't remember when when um, Ronald Reagan was going out of the White House. You don't remember when George Bush came in and was a president for four years, and then the mess was still there, and he ran a very, very lackluster campaign, and so we allowed somebody who wasn't a George Bush to win because they they had a mess they couldn't clean up. That's my opinion. Nobody needs to agree with it. To those of you who are listening and who are now incensed, I am telling you, you don't have to agree with me. And luckily for you, you don't even have to listen. <laughs> but so you, you would say that even though we have a, and using this purposely, non-white person who is president of the United States of America, that in no way, shape, or form means that racism has been licked. Oh, for heaven's sake, they hanged him in effigy in Georgia last week. <laughs> last week. They hanged the President of the United States in effigy. Does that sound like racism to you? Well, well, people people complained about President Bush, former President Bush. Uh, oh, I don't can't imagine they, why. They they complained about him and they they made uh, ugly signs and things. They did a lot of the exact same things when he. They didn't president. hang him in effigy. We reserve that for members of the black race for the most part. Hmm. We have a history where people of color are concerned, that it, and it is, not, it is not the same as the history that we have with white people. We complain about our white leaders when they make mistakes, 
and certainly they make mistakes. We do not generally hang them in effigy. There is a there is a history of that hanging business that is not the same for white people as it is for black people. No matter how big your mistake is, that is not what we generally do or have done in this country where people where white people are concerned. What we should be saying is where colorless people are concerned, right? Because if you're going to refer to black people as non-white, then mm. Harry Golden, when, do you remember Harry Golden's writings? Harry Golden was, he wrote a newspaper called the South Carolina Israelite. He was a Jewish person. He had a newspaper. And he, in his newspaper, he would say things like, if we're going to have uh, fountains marked whites only, and then, no, if we're, going, if we're going to have an article in the newspaper that says the black, the, the colored elks met on Tuesday, then the next week we have to say the colorless elks met this Tuesday. Hmm. We, don't, we are very um, casual with the way we use the language, but very precise with the way we use the language and hanging where white people are concerned. Hmm. Wow. Again, this is Jane Elliott, uh, our guest on the program today. Um, she's sticking true to form. She says she was going to be standard, no holes barred, which is exactly what uh, we want and look forward to here at the Cows. Uh, I did. I, get, I think you said it. I just want to make sure our listeners are clear. You are a, a white woman. Is that correct? I am a per, I am a non-colored person. <laughs> I am a person with no color. <laughs> if you're going to use okay. non-white, then I have to use non-color. Okay. Okay. White, <laughs> and so person. I'm colorless. I don't want to be colorless any more than you want to be called colored. I don't want to be called colorless. But I understand that eventually the terms that we use become offensive to the people who do not have, who are not allowed to choose what they're going to be identified as. Mm. And so we have to keep changing the, changing the words. And we used to use colored. It took me about three years living here in a senior community to get the man across the street to stop using the word colored. Took me three years, but I didn't have anything else to do here in a senior community. What else is there to do? So that's what I did. It took me three years, and I got it done. But, but you see, we we have we carry over all this garbage, and we think it's over. But it ain't over till the fat lady sings. And we are we are still where we were. We are in better shape than we were 50 years ago. We aren't in as good shape as we were 30 years ago. Because we were talking about racism then. Now we've stopped talking about it because we... We white people, and I speak for myself, but I also speak about a lot of white people because I know us. Unfortunately, I know us, and I know us fairly well. We don't want to show our ignorance, and we don't want to say something that might be perceived as racist, so we say nothing. We would be better off to take a chance on saying something and having it misinterpreted, and then you can talk about what it is that is objectionable about what you said. But if you never say anything then you never find out what it is that's wrong with what you said or why it might be, why somebody might take, take exception to it. So you, so you stop communicating. We have pretty much stopped communicating about race in this country, in my opinion and in my experience. Very interesting. Um, this, this program, uh, the CAL uh, acronym, Context of White Supremacy, um, I have unfortunately... Uh, concluded that we're in a global system of racism, white supremacy, 
and the t definition that I use for both racism and white supremacy is as follows. Uh, a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to mistreating and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, do you believe that such a system exists and that that is an accurate definition? I think that's a pretty accurate definition, but I think you've left out a couple of things. I okay. think you've left out power. <clears throat> and in this country, and I, and I also think you need to remember that we are responsible for what happens in this country. We can't change other countries until we change this one. People say to me, why don't you go overseas? Hey, if I want to fight a battle, I don't have to go overseas. I have battles right here. All the battles I can handle here. But we, the, what you've left out is power. White people have power worldwide. And that the real fear in this country day, today is that, and it's going to happen, so folks get used to it, white people are going to be in the minority by the year, what, 2040? Somewhere. Maybe sooner than that, yeah. And a whole lot of white people are really scared to death that they are going to, the people of color are going to do to them as they have done to people of color. They're scared to death that if people of color get power, they'll treat us the way we have treated them. You wouldn't have to worry about that if you'd start now, if white people would start now to change the way they treat people of color. If white people would start now, to share power instead of trying to keep it all to themselves. It isn't going to work. We are going to be in the minority. We've got to start now to change the way we treat people. We have to, we have to change. We in the United States have to change our country first. I am absolutely terrified by a group in this country called The Family. Have you read the book, The Family? Have you read the book, The Family, Gus? Can you repeat that question, please? Are you still here? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Am I boring you, Gus? <laughs> Not at all. Not at <laughs> all. And there's a book called The Family, and the it family. is the discussion. It is a discussion of a large group of people in this country who are determined to turn this country and the world into an all-Christian world. I don't think we have the right to tell other people how to worship. Mm. And if you haven't read the book, you need to get it and read it. It is one of the most frightening things I have ever read. I would advise everybody listening to this program to read it. Because Did, the, the, the author? Uh, what? The author? I la think his last name is, well, uh, now, now you've done it. Now I have to go out and get to the author. I was just going to sit here and do this thing, and now I have to get up and walk around. Now I have to look for the book. I usually have it in my hand because I'm I'm so angry all the time I'm reading it. The good thing you didn't call while I was reading it because I get really nasty while I'm reading this thing. I think his name is Shepler. I'm not sure. Just a minute. Here it is. This is such a tiny house. I ought to be able to find anything in a hurry. Uh, Charlotte. Charlotte. Jeff Charlotte. Charlotte. Jeff, S-H-A-R-L-E-T. One of the most terrifying books I've ever read, and we all have to be aware of what this is all about. We have uh, members of Congress. When you talk about worldwide racism, you need to realize that according to this author, who has researched this thing very, very thoroughly, um, our members of our Congress have been going to Uganda to tell the leader of the Ugandan people how to write legislation 
that will enable the people in Uganda to incarcerate or execute gays and lesbians who can't be cured. Does that bother you at all? It is unjust and should not be happening. Just unjust? It ought to be considered illegal, indecent, immoral, unacceptable, and for American congresswomen to be engaged in that kind of activity ought to guarantee them that they won't be in Congress much longer. Mm. Do you uh, do you feel that there is any sort of, uh, I guess people are upset about this and are, are looking for the people who are doing this to see if they can get them out of office? or uh, Not enough of them. You hadn't heard about it, had you? I, this is the first I've heard of it, yes, ma'am. Does that bother you at all? Uh, it does not surprise me. It does not surprise me. Um, I, I see that sort of thing happen frequently where information, accurate information about those sort of things, about injustices, uh, that information is a little harder to get. That's not the thing that people are talking about on a consistent basis. So We're so busy I, thinking about Tiger Wood that we don't have time to think about <laughs> things like that. That's right. You know, this right. is Our minds are constantly being directed to things that are absolutely unimportant to society as a whole. And I think, but, but we ask for that. We let our minds, we let our attention be diverted. And we need to stop letting that happen. Hmm. When, when I spoke, <clears throat> excuse me, um, when I spoke with you uh, just before the program, um, I referenced myself, and I would be referencing the, the uh, people in Uganda, I would be referencing them as non-white as well, um, you said that you did not think that was an or I, I won't even try and paraphrase. Can you share with our listeners your thoughts on my use of the term non-white? Well, you didn't call yourself non-female. Right. See, if you don't call yourself non-female, then why would you call yourself non-white? You are identifying yourself by comparing yourself to the power group. That gives the power group more again? power. I don't think you that's a good idea. What? You said it was comparing yourself to the Yes, power you group? are. You are you are contrasting or comparing either one yourself to the power group. That that is admitting that that's where the power is and that you have no identity other than as you are compared to the group in power. I think that's a bad idea. I think that you don't you're if you're non-white, you are also non-Asian. Are you non-Asian? Maybe. You don't have to be, but are you? Uh, that would be an accurate statement. I've, yeah, I've so if you are non-Asian, why don't you call yourself non-Asian? Because that isn't an important group to you. They ought to be, but they aren't. But they aren't the power group in this country. The hmm. thing that probably is the most... I, I am. If you have a right to identify yourself as you choose to. And people of color fought long and hard to get that right. To be allowed to call themselves black, for heaven's sake, took years... And now that they have that, we are now encouraging them to take on another title, but a title that is all about how you com- how you are contrasted to white people. I think it's unfortunate they, that a group of people of color are going to choose that, but they have the right to do that. But then they'll have to live with the consequences of that. And I think that's a, I, I would I would not I would think there's a better way. 
You see, I'm. Hey, if we're going to do that, then I am non-colored. Mm. I would have to call myself non-male. I would have to call myself non-thin, non-tall, non-young. And those are all negatives. You're identifying yourself with a negative. I hate to see that mm. happen. You said. Does that uh, make sense to you? Is what I'm saying make sense to you? I, it is very lucid. It makes logical sense what you're saying. I just wanted to make sure I heard you correctly. <laughs> you said that um, the black people in this particular area of the world are being, uh, I guess, encouraged to pick up a new title. Uh, do you think that uh, black people are being encouraged to pick up the term non-white, or is it another term they're being encouraged to pick up now as opposed to black? I don't know who has come up with that term, but Which terms term? terms lose their terms become insults because they have been used in an insulting way, oftentimes, and then the people who against about whom those terms are being used have to change the terms in order to stop taking the insult or the perceived insult, and that's the reason a lot of these you know we used to blacks used to be called a whole lot of other different names. And a group of people of color got together, Asians, Pacific Islanders, Native Americans, Chicanos, Latinos, um, a group of people got together and said, we are tired of being called colored. And that's how they came up with people of color. Now, I have a feeling that what's happening now is they're tired of being called people of color. So we're going to come up with a new term. I hope they can come up with a better term than non-white. I have a problem with it, but that's, you have the right to, and all people of color have the right to decide what their group wants to be called. That's not up to white people. We have done that. White people have taken that on from them, for themselves long enough. So whatever you want to be called, that's up to you. But then you live with that, that term, and I think you're going to see a, in a very short time that non-white becomes a pejorative Somebody will fix that for you. Okay. Well, I, I have heard that position before, uh, both from non-white people and white people, who said that they um, they pretty much expressed um, the same argument that you laid out in terms of the logic of why you don't think that is uh, a correct term to use, uh, and it would not be uh, in the benefit, best interest uh, of non-white people to use that term. Thank um, you very much. You just made my day. <laughs> I try. I try. Yeah, you are one of the most trying men I've ever talked to. Yeah. <laughs> Keep trying, me. Try my patience. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad that somebody else doesn't like that term because I find that um, I find that very plantation, quite frankly. Plant. What, what do you mean when you say plantation? It sounds like uh, Big Daddy is telling what you what you ought to be called, and if anybody's going to do that, it ought to be Big Mama, right? Hmm. I mean, you know, that's that's what it sounds like to me. And I really, I really don't, I have a, I have a problem with that term. Lots of people I suspect wouldn't. I would. Hmm. That's interesting. I, um, as I, I've heard this before, there was uh, a non-white male, a black male on the program uh, in November, Dr. Robert L. Williams. Uh, he pretty much articulated the same sentiment that you are uh, sharing with us today. Uh, and several other folks that I've spoken with about this matter. Um, actually, you you are the first white person uh, who has 
uh, expressed uh, these feelings about the term non-white, but I have encountered other non-white people who have shared your exact same line of reasoning. Uh, well, most white I, people would find that the, the majority, and I'm, I'm going to make a broad blanket statement here, but okay. most white people would see nothing wrong with that because, after all, that's what you are, isn't it? And that way they don't have to identify. They don't have to say, well, um, just exactly what does that mean? They can just call you non-white and isn't that too bad. I will never, and you have to be careful because this is the kind of mentality that you deal with in this country on a daily basis. I will never forget the day the woman said to me at a workshop in a major corporation in the United States, I don't dislike black people. When I see a black person, I just say to myself, there but for the grace of God go I. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But she didn't think she needed diversity training. Wow. I was. I did a film in, in if you think, if you, anybody, anybody listening to this thinks this isn't a universal problem. I did a, a, a program, we made a film in the U.K. several months ago. We did the exercise with a group of people in the U.K., and they were lovely people, I'm sure. Uh, no, I'm not sure, but they said they were lovely people, so I guess I'll have to take their word for it. Uh, and, but very shortly after I started working with them, I knew they lied to me. Uh, I split the class according to eye color and abused the blue-eyed people, and there was a teacher in that group who was just determined that she, they have lots of those colored children in her school, and she treats all her children alike, and she sees no reason for anybody to be working in the area in which I'm working today because those problems are all over. Okay, well, so during the lunch break... She was talking to other members of her group, the blue-eyed group. They had to eat alone. And the cameraman caught her saying, one of our little black students got a cut on her cheek last week, and it, it was laid open. It was a gash. And I was surprised to see that she was pink under the skin, just like we are. Wow. This was last year, you said? This was three months ago. Three months ago. Wow. And nobody told me that she had said that. They, they they had it on camera, but they didn't tell me. If they had told me that she had said that, I would have, it would have been absolutely a lot of fun for me and none whatsoever for her. When they told me that that had been said, I was, I was absolutely flabbergasted. I said, you can't, you can't mean she didn't really say that. Hey, we've got it on film. Now, wow. I've gotten a lot of emails from people who saw that. They showed the film on, on uh, UK television. And I've gotten mm. a lot of emails from people who said, that white teacher should have been sacked on the spot. Well, I didn't know what they were talking about. I didn't know what they, I knew they should sack her, but I didn't know what she had done. And then they like, got the information that that's what she had said. Wow. We're talking, we're talking 2010. Hmm. We're talking about a teacher in 2010 who has the future of little children in her hands all day, every day. Children mm. of all colors. Now, how well do you think she's treating those little children? I suspect she's mistreating the non-white children. Would you? You suspect she's mistreating whom? The, non, the non-white or so-called colored black children. I you mean the children of color? Yes. Yeah, thank you very much. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been listening, have you? <laughs> I have. I have. I've been listening. I have been listening. I had no idea she would say a thing like that. <laughs> That's a woman who is 
she had to be at least, oh, 53 years old. Wow. And that's the statement she made about the students in her classroom. She didn't realize that they were pink under the skin just like the rest of us. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So if you think it's over and if you think it isn't universal, come with me. Wow. Again, our guest for today's program, uh, Mrs. Jane Elliott. Uh, You can check out her website as well, janeelliott.com, Elliott with two Ts. Um, You were talking about, you know, problems and people who are, it looks like, practicing racism a little closer to home. Did you you catch the comment from uh, Senator Reid where he said, uh, I think he was talking about President Obama, and he said that uh, President Obama, uh, he got elected because he was lighter complexion, uh, he didn't sound, he didn't talk in the regular slang that black people use and that, that he was a, a well-behaved, uh, overall good Negro, and he used the term Negro specifically. Uh, oh, he, he did. I didn't know that that was part of his statement. Yes, he used the term Negro specifically. Um, did you? Are you familiar with any part of, of, of what the I didn't hear that whole statement. I, I would oh. have a lot of trouble with him using the term, term Negro. A lot of trouble because that's just that's just an indication of his stupidity. However, he's he's right in that white people were willing are as as Barack Obama said in his book Dreams of My Father. Hmm. I found that if I didn't confront white people and was polite and calm, that I this is paraphrasing it, that I could get along with them. He knew that. Barack Obama knows exactly what he has to do and what he had to do to get to get accepted by white people and to get them to vote for him. But once again, if it had been anyone but John McPain and Sarah Phelan running against him, he probably wouldn't have been elected to the presidency. Wow. Wow. Do you and think even he even been? though he belongs in the presidency, in my estimation. Barack Obama is the best thing that has happened to this country in a very, very long time. And I pray to every deity I can think of, and I can think of lots of them, that he stays alive. Because we need Barack Obama. We need Barack Obama for lots of reasons. We need him so that I watched what happened after he was elected. And I saw young black men walking tall, whom I had never seen walking tall before walking tall and proud, and it was as if they were saying, see, we can do it. We are capable. It was the, the turnaround in, the, in the, the stance of the young blacks that I saw on the street, and I've been, been to several cities since this thing happened. It was just remarkable and absolutely beautiful. And I thought, in this, we could have had this. We could have had this attitude all these years. If we if we had appreciated what we have in the black community, we could have had this. We could have. There have been many black men and women, people of all kinds, who could have qualified for the presidency. And now we have the opportunity to have real change in this country because now we know it can happen. We know it can happen. I think that's one of the things that white people are scared about. They found out that it can happen. And if there's one. Maybe there's more. Oh, my, now what are we going to do? 
Do you think that uh, the, the part of the statement where he said that if uh, President Obama had been darker complexion, like the complexion of Dick Gregory or the complexion of uh, President Obama's father, do you think white people would have supported him then? I doubt. See, I don't. I think that people who say we don't see color in this country anymore are out of their minds. I think we do see color. And I think we have been taught to react negatively to color. And I thought, I think until we get over that, we're we're going to have to deal with racism. We don't have a colorblind society. People keep saying to me, I think what we need, and George Bush, old George Bush used to say, what we need is a colorblind society. No. The paint companies would hate that, and so would the auto manufacturers. We do not need a colorblind society. What we need is a society that is no longer blinded by color. And that's what we're living in today. And anyone who thinks that we aren't only has to look at the prison statistics and the poverty statistics and the unemployment statistics and the educational level statistics, and you'll find that, indeed, we are a society that has been taught to be blinded by color, to see color first. First thing you see, and you can either react to it negatively or positively, and that's a choice you make. Nobody's born a bigot. You have to learn bigotry. And in this country, we teach bigotry from the from before the time you're born. We teach bigotry prenatally. Wow. I've been in the hospital wow. with black women when I was delivering children, or my own children. I hmm. saw the way they were treated, and I saw the way I was treated. And the two things were very dissimilar. Whoa. What differences did you observe? I observed that whatever, whenever I turned my light on, there was somebody there. When they turned their light on, there was somebody out smoking a cigarette someplace. Wow. I watched them come in, have their families come in to visit with them and be shooed out and be treated with great disrespect. <laughs> Just a couple of years ago, at a, at a hospital, a university hospital that my niece works at, a black woman had been in the hospital for a couple of days in a two-bed ward. They brought a white woman in and put her in the other bed, and immediately her family came in and protested that their loved one was in the room with a GD N-word. Whoa. They went down and complained to the administrator, and they moved the black woman out of the bed, out of the room. Wow. My niece told me about that, and I said, what the is the matter with your people? Well, she said, what should we have done? We wanted to get her out of that situation. I said, you should have moved the white woman. Oh, she said, we never thought of it. You want to call that racism? I call that racism. That's blatant racism. Move the black woman out because the white people who got there three days after she'd been in the hospital didn't want to be didn't want their loved one to be in the room with an N word. Wow. Do I sound angry? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do I sound insane? Uh, no, I, I think what you're saying makes logical sense. But what I'm saying is insane. To treat Mm. people that way is insane. Make no mistake about that. People say to me, how can you put those little white children in that third grade classroom through that blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise for two days? How can you do that to them? How can you experiment with children? Number one, I'm not experimenting with children. I'm doing a learning experience or a learning exercise with third graders. And I found out the first time I did it that what I created in my classroom in Riceville, Iowa, 
for two days was a microcosm of American society. What I do with my third graders or did with my third graders at that time for two days is what this nation does with its citizens of color for a lifetime. If what I'm doing is an experiment, then what we are doing in this country is an experiment, and we ought to put a stop to it. Wow. Jane Elliott, uh, pioneer. Soft-spoken, gentle person. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. That's what you were going to say, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I had to give up being gentle and sweet and kind about this. Because if you speak softly, people mistake hmm. softness for weakness, and they don't listen to you. Now, when I spoke with you yesterday, you said that, again, you, I wrote it down, you said that you are more determined and disgusted now, and you talked about people being upset with the things that you say and the way that you speak about racism, white supremacy, have you encountered a lot of people who, who are angry with the work that you do or feel like what you're doing is a waste of time or unnecessary? No, they feel like it's threatening. They feel like, they feel like they're being accused of something. Well, okay. If the shoe doesn't fit, don't put it on. If this isn't you that I'm talking about, don't worry mm-hmm. about it. Just say, those people ought to stop what they're doing. Unfortunately, we all know that what I'm saying applies to all of us practically all of us white folks. Every time I do the exercise, somebody says in the group, well, some white person, a, a brown-eyed person, speaks up, whom the brown-eyed people are always on the top in the exercise that I do with adults, but I reverse it when I use it with, with uh, third graders or junior high people or high school people. Mm. Some brown-eyed person always says, well, I don't think this is fair. And I say, wait a minute. If you, and I, I, I um, Start, I get the brown-eyed people ready before the blue-eyed people come into the room where we're going to do the exercise. But mm. I don't think this is fair. And I say, wait a minute. If you, one person, out of the 40 people who are here, protest this, this will not be reality for the United States. Because if one out of 40 white people, and there will be only 16 maybe uh, brown-eyed people, if one out one-sixteenth of all the white people in the United States stood up and refused to tolerate racism. Do you think we could end racism? And what did they say? Well, it hadn't occurred to them. It (laughs) never occurs to them that young college kids put a stop to the Vietnam War. Some of them died to do it. Many of them died during in the Vietnam War as Mm. as military. But children, young people in this country went out in the streets and protested the Vietnam War and made a lot of noise. Young people elected Barack Obama. They got, he got the start with young people in Iowa. Young people know how to use the net. They know how to use technology. I don't think McCain's people were very good at that. And Barack Obama's people were absolutely wonderful at it because they had they were young and they had been raised with technology mm-hmm. it totally there's a the the layers the reasons there are so many reasons that he won that election none of them are because we are no longer racist in this country hmm. in my estimation could i be wrong oh it's a possibility but we aren't going to entertain that possibility are we because <laughs> <laughs> because you see only non-white people are wrong. 
white people are invariably right because hmm. they tell us so. Hmm. What, when when I spoke with you yesterday, one of the other things that I found uh, just fascinating, you said that you like to, to tell it like it is, particularly now uh, people don't listen when you try and soft-shoe it and sugarcoat what racism is and how it works. You like to just tell it how it is and upset people. You said that black people do not like to hear honest dialogue about racism. Can you, can you share about that, please? Some black people don't. Some black people are saying, look, we're farther ahead than we were when my, we are ahead of where my grandmother was. Don't rock hmm. the damn boat. <laughs> and I can understand that. I absolutely understand that. But if nobody rocks the boat, things are not going to get better because while this may be better than it was, while we may, while blacks may have it better than their grandparents had it, <clears throat> many of them don't have it as good as I have it. I as a non-black person. <laughs> and until people of color have it as good as colorless people have it, somebody has to keep on saying, look, you may have made it, but we have reinstituted slavery in the United States of America. I don't think people are aware of that, and I don't think they want to talk about that. But if you put a person in prison and you make them work, and you only give them enough to, and you only feed, feed house, and clothe them, and you make mm. them work, what do you call that? What do you call that? You call that slavery. And if you don't know anything about the industrial military, uh, the industrial prison complex in this country, you ought to take a look at it. They're trying to privatize the prison industry, which means that people will make money off incarcerated people, a vast, a vast number of which are young black males. Now, when you can pick somebody up for driving while black and incarcerate them and then make them work for a pittance, you have reinstituted slavery in your country. Hmm. And a whole lot of us, a whole lot of people don't want to think about that, and a whole lot of black people say, just shut that woman up. <laughs> if, if somebody could just shut her up because wow. we don't want to talk about this we we don't Barack Obama says don't make white folks angry don't make these white folks angry well I've been threatened with death so often that that's just a joke anymore you know and I make people really really angry because huh. they don't want to hear that no things aren't perfect but they could be they could be good they could be so much better than they are. And I expect them to be better. And I'm not going to quit I'm not going to quit ranting until they are better. Hmm. And I'll I'll die ranting. I understand that. I'm perfectly aware of that. But now when I go on college campuses I say to the people in the in the audience, Look, I know some of you people and I've had them say this to me. I know some of you want to kill me. Don't shoot me on this campus because if you do, <laughs> you'll make a martyr out of me and then you might have to spend the rest of your life celebrating Jane Elliott Day once a year. Now think about that. And then it's like, oh, we don't want to do that. <laughs> so they keep me, I say, keep me alive on your campus. And wow. they do. And, and I know, in my heart of hearts, I know that that's the only reason I stay alive on some of those campuses. Hmm. This is not... I would love to be able to say, oh, things are so much better than they were 
50 years ago, and they are better than they were 50 years ago, but they aren't good enough. Nowhere near good enough. Maybe, maybe you're satisfied with where it is. Are you satisfied? Wow. Are you satisfied, Gus? Not at all. Not well, then well, things aren't good enough for you, are they? Not at all. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. That is. I don't want you to be satisfied. I don't mean I just want you to go around and around being dissatisfied. I just want you not to be satisfied with the status quo because it is not the way it's being described to you. And I had no idea. I really, I really thought we were a lot better off than we were until I talked to this group last week and heard these insane statements that I had stopped hearing. Of course, people don't say those things around me because most people in my, in, in my group, the group of people I know, know what I do so they know better than to make those stupid statements around me. But the people I was talking to the other day didn't know. And, and you see, here's another part of the problem. White people feel perfectly comfortable saying those things when there isn't the presence of a white person because they're quite certain that that person is going to agree with them. So they huh. feel safe. Yeah, they feel safe saying these ugly things. And then somebody like me says, are you out of your mind? I thought we stopped saying those things many, many years ago. And then they get all upset because they thought they could trust me. And some of them have said to me, well, I thought I could trust you. And I say, wow. as my son-in-law says, you got to know your audience. And you wow. can't be sure that I'm not one of those radicals. So you need to be careful what you say. I have been, <laughs> my, my mother kicked me out of the family many years ago because she said, Jane, stay away from here. Nobody's comfortable when you're around. They aren't, they aren't comfortable when I'm around. You can't pull out your banjo and play, I don't want her, you can have her, she's too fat for me, with me in the room. Because I won't tolerate it. Because my sisters-in-law and my nieces are some of those who are not thin. So I'm, I was kicked out of the family because I simply wouldn't keep my mouth shut. You can't, you can't do that kind of ugly thing in my presence because in so much as ye have done it unto one of these, my brethren, so have ye done it unto me. Hmm. Well, I, I just I want to uh, make sure our listeners catch that because I thought that was incredibly important. Um, you said that these people make these comments um, around you, or I guess around other white people, and they feel safe. Uh, would it be accurate? Would it be accurate to say that uh, in a system of racism, white supremacy, that racists, uh, if they assume that if you are white, you are also racist? That's right. They assume that it's all right to say these things because we all think alike, <laughs> and everybody knows that the way they think is right. Because we aren't racist, because we said so. The whole thing wow. is so, it's so, it, it reaches a point where it's just comical. It isn't comical to be on the receiving end of it. But to watch it happen and then have somebody say, well, I didn't make a racist statement. <laughs> and you're biting, you know, I bite my tongue a lot because, mm. well, because my husband would just as soon have friends. I don't care, but he just <laughs> soon have friends. <laughs> I bite my tongue a lot. But this last weekend, I thought, okay, this has gone on far enough. This, this is too much. 
and I tried to let him have it a little bit. And when we went back to the room, Daryl said, well, you didn't have to do that, you know. You know, you don't have to educate everybody. I said, no, but we've got to, they were They were just being hateful about Muslims. And I had to tell him, wait a minute, not all Muslims are like that. That is not what people are advised to do in the Quran. And how do you know? Well, I said, because my daughter and two of my granddaughters are Muslims. I, you could have heard a feather fall. They were just sick. They'd been caught. They were wrong. The Quran does not say go out and kill somebody. The Quran says that if you have killed, if you kill one person, you have killed humanity. It is not something that the Quran tells you to do. But we are now using the Quran to demonize the behaviors of a few, of a few, not the majority of Muslims, but some Muslims. We're using that to stereotype and demonize all Muslims. Um, Nathan Rutstein said, Prejudice is an emotional commitment to ignorance. Prejudice is an emotional commitment to ignorance. It's the old... My mind's made up. Don't confuse me with facts. (laughs) And we don't want to know the facts because it's easier just to repeat the lies that we've been taught. It's time to start questioning the lies. I know some fine, fine Muslim people who are not radical, who are not fanatics, and I know some good Christian people who are as fanatic as anybody I've ever seen. And they aren't fanatic because they're Christians. They're fanatics because they're ignorant. Hmm. I looked at uh, your website, and again, I want folks to uh, make sure they check it out. It's linked if you're listening uh, to the program at Blog Talk Radio. Uh, If you look in the description, you can just click uh, Jane Elliott's name, and it will take you to her website. Uh, But it's janeelliott.com, Elliott with two T's. Um, On your website, you have... Uh, different uh, information that people can use right on the website uh, to start doing uh, an evaluation uh, of themselves and other folks. Uh, I checked out one of the lists, and you said that uh, one way people, I guess, falsely believe that they're working against racism is if they can get people feeling good that there will be less racism. Why do you think that is, yeah, that is yeah. not true? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah, that's what people say. If we could just get people feeling good about themselves, they'd be less racist. Do you really think that people who are treating people unfairly on the basis of the color of their skin don't enjoy it while they're doing it and don't feel good about themselves? This isn't about not feeling good about yourself. This is about wanting to put somebody else down and being willing to do whatever you have to do to accomplish that. This is about maintaining your position of power and doing whatever you have to do to accomplish that. It isn't about people not feeling good about themselves. You can, I have, there's not a doubt in my mind, but what people like Pat Robertson feel really good about themselves. I think Dobson, James Dobson, feels really good about himself. But he's still doing things that are not good for people of color. I don't think that the answer to doing away with racism is to getting people to feel good about themselves. I think it's getting people to be willing to educate themselves. And you could go to my website and look at that list, that bibliography, and if you really care, if you really care about eliminating racism or eradicating racism 
or lessening the amount of racism in yourself and your environment, then start educating yourself. Some people will say, oh, and I've had this said to me so often, I have a degree, I know all I need to know, and I think, oh, help me, Lord, don't let me shoot this person, because I, I've got an awful lot to learn. But there are so many people who say to me, I know enough, I don't have to, for instance, we as part of the White House Conference on Children and Youth in 19-whatever-year-it-was advised the President of the United States to insist that all teacher trainees take six hours of human relations training so that teacher trainees would know about people who are other than white than when they went into classrooms. <clears throat> the teachers got together and got that voted down because they said, we already know enough, we have our degree. Wow. Well, my wow. father would say, well, that's an educated idiot. <laughs> Quite frankly, because he had no time for somebody who would make a statement like that. You, If you have a degree, you may have 14 degrees. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you know anything about how to relate to those who are different from yourself or how to identify racism or what to do about it. It just means that you've got another degree. And degrees are wonderful. I'm all for a degree. I have a couple of goals, and, you know, I could have had more, but I decided that was what I was learning was to maintain the status quo. And I didn't huh. think that was a good thing for me to keep on learning. Wow. I, I, looked, at, uh, I looked at several um, of the uh, lists that you had on your uh, website. Um, so people could, could kind of make a personal evaluation of themselves and, and some of the ways that they think about racism and ways that they think about black people. Um, and you said that, um, I guess this was for white people, or maybe it's to everyone, you can, you can clarify for us, um, that you should spend time looking at your own racist attitudes. Absolutely. Um, okay. Absolutely. Um, That's, that is the problem. Racism isn't out there. It isn't just in Watts. It isn't just, you know, it isn't, it, it's in, it's part of us. We live in a society that teaches racism on a daily basis. And if you think it doesn't, take a look at the map. Now, get a picture in your mind of the world map hanging on the wall in your classroom. You got it there? Mm-hmm. Close your eyes and get it there. You got it? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Do you see Greenland hanging down in the middle of that map like a great big ripe plum? Got it. Got it. You got it. Now, do you see little South America down at the bottom of that map? Uh, got it. Got it. Okay. Do you realize that South America is actually nine times larger than Greenland? Wow. Now you that didn't I realize can... that? No, You didn't realize that. Don't you think that as an educated, non-white, non-female that you should have known that? <laughs> um, I, I don't claim to be that educated. I'm still learning, but no, that no, no, is wait, something wait, I think. Wait, 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 wait. You don't have to be that educated to realize that. You should have learned that in kindergarten. But if all your life you see the map with all the white countries, and on that map, you take a look at that map after this program. Take a look at that map. On that map, mm. you'll see that the white countries of the world take up over half of the map. In fact... The white countries of the world take up less than a third of the map of the world. Hmm. Now, why would anybody do that with a map? To practice racism? Well, to reinforce our position of power and to put in kids' minds a false image of how big their country is, how important their country is. Hmm. 
and it works. <laughs> there are some things that have happened in my lifetime that make me really, really, if you'll pardon my saying, so piss me off. <laughs> it makes me furious that in 1954, to stop the spread of godless communism, we put the words under God on in the pledge. And we put the words in God we trust on our paper currency. They weren't there before 1954. But Dwight Eisenhower was going to stop the spread of godless communism by doing something that was unconstitutional. And because we loved him, because he did such a good job during the Second World War, we let him get away with that. We should have stopped that. And we should stop what our congressmen are doing in the name of saving the United States from Muslims today. And we need to stop it soon. We need to put a stop to what they're doing. And if you read the book, Family, you'll probably be as upset as I am. And if you aren't, don't call me. Because I'll have to say something unpleasant to you. <laughs> and obviously, Uh-oh. everyone knows that I wouldn't dream of saying anything unpleasant. <laughs> I'm very careful about that. Wow. I, one of the big things that I, um, I wholeheartedly agree with uh, your, your statements and you saying especially that um, racism is a, is a problem of people, and people uh, ultimately are the ones who maintain, expand the system of racism, white supremacy. Um, one of the things that I try to do with this program and in working against racism is to get non-white people to understand that um, people who? of color – to get people of color, victims of racism, to get them to understand that they should be suspicious of all white people as long as the system of racism exists. Um, do you think that's a logical stance for a I think, person I of think color? suspicious is a word that's going to get you in trouble. I wouldn't use the word suspicious. I would use the word aware. I think you have to be aware that most white people are not aware of their own racism. They honestly aren't. Nobody's born a bigot. Nobody is born a bigot. You have to learn to be a bigot, and somebody has to teach you how to be that. Mm. White people don't understand that they have been taught their bigotry. It is not. People say to me, well, it's just human nature to dislike those who are different from yourself. No, that's not human nature. That's a learned response. So saying that you can't trust any white person, I, don't, I know that no people of color trust me, and they shouldn't trust me, because when push comes to shove, White folks are going to take care of themselves. They have done that traditionally because that's what we are taught to do. I don't blame people of color who don't trust me. That's that's perfectly logical. If I were a person of color, I wouldn't trust me either. If I saw me coming down the street, I'd think, "Uh uh-oh, there comes one of those. Because that's what (laughs) I would. I swear I would. And I wouldn't be as patient. I do not know where people of color get their patience. I don't understand that. I think there's an X factor in people of color that I do not see in white people. White people, adult white people, in my experience, and I've done this exercise with adult white people all over the United States, literally all over the United States, white people cannot stand for two hours what they expect without exploding, and I mean exploding, what they expect people of color to live with for a lifetime. Wow. I don't know how. I really, I really admire black women. My heroes are black women because they raise, for the most part, 
the vast majority of black women, black parents, raise children who are law-abiding, who are respectful, who are religious, even though we white folks have changed God to make him white, even though we have changed Jesus Christ into a white person, which he couldn't have been, he was born in the Middle East. Mary was a Jewess. She was not white. But we have changed God itself to make white people comfortable. And still, think about that. And still, people of color tolerate us. And I... And they keep sending their kids to school, and they keep telling them to behave themselves in school and to be the best people they can possibly be, for the most part. And they try to do that. And then some teacher, like the one at the, in the U.K. a couple months ago, says, I'm doing this because I love you. Hmm. And then they have to wonder. It says in the Bible, God is love. Is this what love is? I don't think so. I don't know how white, I don't know how black women do it. I don't know how Native American women do it. I don't know how Latino and Hispanic and Pacific Islander women do it. I do not know how they do that. And keep yep. and keep encouraging their children to act in a respectful way. Hmm. If you were a person of color, non-white person, victim of racism, how would you? How would you be functioning? How would you be functioning uh, specifically as it relates to white people? I'd be in jail. For doing what? I'd have done something terrible because I know how I felt. I know how I felt. And I'm not advising women of color to do this because you don't dare. But I remember how I felt about the teachers who abused my children Mm -hmm. in the Riceville school because of my doing the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise. I remember how I felt about them. I wish I didn't feel that way. I wish I, I, and now somebody's going to write to me and say, you need to pray. Don't do that to me. (laughs) Don't bother. (laughs) Just don't do it. (laughs) Prayer changes things. Well, let me tell you. Women of color, gays and lesbians, people with disabilities, People who have fought in our wars and come back and aren't allowed to buy a house or have a good job. Mm-hmm. Pray and pray and pray. And they're forced to pray if they're Christians to a white, blue-eyed, fair-skinned Jesus, which didn't mm-hmm. exist, which did not exist. So please don't do that. Please don't tell me to forgive. I remember how it felt. I would have, when I'd go home after after the horror that they were exhibited, that, that they were visiting upon my kids, when I'd go home at night, I drove all 16 miles home every night, I would imagine that one of them was in front of my car, and I ran over him. Wow. Somebody said later, and I, I, I just felt awful about that, but I had to get home, I had to get home to my kids, I had to get... I had to I had to release the stress, and that's a terrible thing to admit, and oh my, now you'll think I belong in a mental institution, which I probably do, but there would be many, many teachers there. Anyway, one day I saw one of the teachers that I had run over in the hall, and I thought, what are you doing here? I thought I killed you. And one of them got cancer and was dying, and I couldn't feel bad for her. 
And I thought, my God, look how you have dehumanized yourself. This is what happens in a racist society. People have to dehumanize themselves in order to cooperate with the oppressor. If you're a huh. member of the oppressing group, you have to dehumanize yourself in order to get through the day. There are many people who are victims of racism in this country. The perpetrators are also victims of racism. And it's only when they start to realize that their lives are circumscribed by racism that they'll say, we've got to put a stop to this. I don't think that any white child in this country ever lives up to his or her true potential. Because if you're born all right because you're white, you don't have to really put out. And I don't think that many children of color live up to their true potential because if when you get to the point where you're almost making it, somebody who didn't know you were pink on the inside just like the rest of us, seeing you making the, making the grade can destroy what you have done. Huh. And it happens all the time. Huh. I remember the teacher in the eastern, on one of the eastern states who said, my kids made the grade. They showed tremendous growth on their Stanford Achievement Test, their end-of-year testing. Mm -hmm. I showed the scores to my principal because I was so proud of them. And he said, you must have made a mistake. These kids' scores can't be that high. I'll grade these papers. And he took those papers and graded them and gave those kids lower scores. And she said, why are you doing this? He said, we need that, that, that uh, class of disabled readers. We get special funding for those people. Hmm. All that racism? I believe so. Yeah. I think you have I no idea. So. You're 32 years old. You have no idea what parents of color pray for and have prayed wow. for over the ages. And all they want is justice. I think that's what they want. I think yeah. when I do the exercise, when I do speeches now, I have a mm. tall white male and a tall non-black male, should I say, non-female, tall, <laughs> non-black, non-female person stand beside me on one side. And on the other side I have a, a shorter, non-white, non-male standing beside me. Mm. And I ask because in this country right now we're saying we should ignore differences. Differences aren't important. We should talk about how we're all alike on the inside. What a crock. Okay. So I say, all right, let's see if you recognize differences. So I have these people stand up beside me. And I ask the group whether they see any differences. Well, of course, they see height. And I ask the person, and that's, you know, that's the male who's tall. And I ask him whether he earned his height. No. Well, did, is it an award? No. Did God say, oh, I like you, so I'm going to make you tall? No. Does your height give you power? Yeah. Do you enjoy that power? Well, yeah. Okay, so he has the power of height. I say the same thing, do the same thing with the non-white, non-male, and ask her the same questions. No, her height doesn't give her any power. No, she didn't earn it, but she'd sure like to have some. Then they say, well, they see that they also see gender. We go through the same thing with gender. And when you ask a man whether sex is important to him, immediately he starts to squirm. Oh, <laughs> big joke. Well, yeah, it is. But he didn't earn it, and it isn't an award. It's just an accident of birth. Does it give him power? Yes. So then we come to age. 
Same thing, blah, 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 blah. The male has power because of his age, but he won't when he's about 62 to 65. Didn't earn it, but he's got it, just because of a physical characteristic over which he has absolutely no control. Then somebody says race, and that really trips my trigger because there's only one race. What they're referring to is skin color. We're all members of the same race. It's time to stop being very determined, start being very determined to make that distinction. So I finally get them to admit that. And then I say to the white male, can you do just about whatever you want to anytime you want to? Yeah. Can you walk where you want to? Yeah. Can you talk the way you want to? Yeah. You're, you're pretty free, aren't you? Yeah. You're a free person. Yes. Ask the black person the same thing and say, does it take courage for you to get up in the morning some days when you know you're going to be treated in a racist way probably all day long? Yeah. But you have to do it, get up and go do it anyway if you want to survive and you want your children to be fed. Am I right? Yeah. Well then, folks, here's what you have. The last statement in the Star-Spangled Banner. Oh, say does that Star-Spangled Banner yet wave? or the land of the free, and I point to the white male, and the home of the brave. And that's what we're living with. In this country today, that is what we're living with. If you're a non-black, non-female, you're pretty much free to do about whatever you want to. If you're a non-white, non-male person in this country, you are not free. But you better be brave. It takes courage to be a black female. It doesn't take courage to do what I do. I'm angry. I don't want people to have to be courageous to get up in the morning. I don't want children to I don't want children to have teachers who didn't realize until she saw them that they were pink underneath just like the rest of us are. I don't want that teacher to have a job. Mm-hmm. Are you Again. glad you called? Oh, for sure, for <laughs> sure. I think it's been very constructive. Uh, well, if you still have any listeners left, you have. I'm. You're a good man. <laughs> a, a good non-female, I should say. <laughs> um, when when I spoke with you yesterday, um, you you shared uh, a few quick thoughts about. Uh, the film The Blind Side. Can you share with our audience, uh, I guess, your observations on that film? I just thought that was a terrific film. Uh, And the the part of that film that was so amazing was when Sandra Bullock is trying to describe to her friends, her friends, what she is, what, how she feels about having this young non-white, non-female person in her home and their reaction to it. And when she got up and walked away, I thought, I've been where you're going. I thought it was just beautiful. I thought it was a beautiful film. And I think everybody should see it. And everybody should think about it and think very seriously about it. What would you do if you were in the same situation? How many of us would stand up and be counted. Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the perpetuation of evil is for good people to do nothing. We have the responsibility. Every time we see one of these things happening, we have the responsibility, and as colorless people, we have the responsibility and the power 
to stop it. We have the power to stop it. It's time to start using that power. White people have the power to stop the system of racism right now? Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. We have the power to stop it. We've had the power to stop it all along. Do you think non-white people? Do you think, do you think for one minute, if I had been a non-white, non-male teacher teaching in third grade in all, all white, all Christian, Riceville, Iowa, in 1968, and did the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise, that I would have had a job the next week? Absolutely not. Do you think I might have been killed? Uh, I would not have been surprised if you had been killed or harmed physically. Do you think if I were a young black male giving the speeches that I give today that I'd be giving them? Can you say that last part again, please? Do you think if I were a young black, I should say a young, non-white, non-female person giving the speeches that I give today or making the remarks like the ones that I've made for with you for the last hour and too many minutes, mm. do you think people would hire me to do that, would pay me to do that, would allow me on their campuses? Oh, I, can, I am a black male saying uh, similar things to what you say, and people do not want to pay me. I am mistreated. Uh, people talk bad about me. I, I know certainly it would be a strong difference, a stark contrast, if you were doing the same thing you're doing now uh, as a black male, definitely. Absolutely. I'm in, we're in the land of the free. I'm the free, and you're the brave. <laughs> Make no mistake about this. I know who I am and what I am, and mm. I know that I have, I've gotten enough notoriety now that they don't want to kill me. And that won't look good. We have to stop being a nation that kills the people that we, we don't like to hear from. So we're trying not to do that right now. And I'm really glad they are. But, you know, they took me out of Uniontown, Pennsylvania at midnight. Three carloads of blacks did because the, I think there were about five or 600 teachers I put through the exercise in a very informal way, and they were so furious that they called the superintendent and said, and these are their words, not mine, if you don't get that bitch out of town, we're going to shoot her. Whoa. Whoa. So, and I didn't know any of that had happened. I didn't know about the anger that was going on. That was the most interesting experience I've ever heard, and those blacks were scared to death, and I didn't get to leave town until the next night because they had work to do all the next day. And three carloads of blacks took me to the Pennsylvania Turnpike going just as fast as they could go, scared out of their skins. And when we got to the Pennsylvania Turnpike, I said to Anna S. Cunningham, who's a member of the Human Rights Commission in, in Pennsylvania, what's going on here? What are these people so upset about? And then she told me what had happened. And I said, oh, my God, those are teachers. She said, yeah, we have to deal with them every day. The next morning, she I was she was with me all day that day, and then the next then she went back to uh, someplace. And the next morning, I got up in a motel room out at the very end of the court, and I opened the door and I looked out, and here were all these two stories of sliding glass doors and windows. And I looked up and I thought, now behind one of those windows might be the person who was sent here to shoot me. Mm-hmm. And I backed up and I closed the door and I thought, now you've got a decision to make. This is what Martin Luther King Jr. lived with the last five years of his life. Now, you can stay here and be paralyzed with fear and never do this work again. Or you can take that luggage carrier and go to the desk and check out. You can let him scare you to death, or you can go to work. And I took that luggage handle of that luggage carrier in my hand, and I opened that door, and I stiffened my shoulders because I guess I thought if my 
muscles were stiff enough, the bullets would bounce off. You do strange things when you're scared. And I didn't run because I don't believe you run because you're scared. I think you're scared because you run. So I walked quickly to the desk, and I got to the desk, and nothing had happened, and I thought, well, you damn dummy, look what you've just done. You've allowed them to terrify you. I will never be scared again. They can shoot me, but they can't scare me to death. And at my age, death is not a big fear. So it would make no sense for them to shoot me now. Because if they do, if they kill me now, if they try to destroy my credibility now, all those tapes are out there with all those people on them learning about the anatomy of prejudice and the effects of discrimination based on physical characteristics over which you have no control. Again, our guest for today's program, uh, Jane Elliott. Uh, and check the website. You can uh, get those videos. Uh, Jane Elliott with two T's dot com. Jane Elliott dot com. Um, I know we, I spoke with uh, Mrs. Elliott uh, before the program. I spoke with her yesterday, and she said uh, a lot of times when she gives talks, or I guess does radio programs, that uh, her term was redneck uh, white people will call in and uh, get, I guess, angry or, or fuss with her or what have you about the work that she's doing. Um, there's a person of color um, who had a question he wanted to ask you. It, would you be acceptable with the person of color? <laughs> if I answer his and I don't answer any of those others, then I'm discriminating, right? And then people are going to say, see, she discriminates too when she wants to. Yeah, go ahead. I oh, you're not. okay with you okay yes, with it? Yes, yes, but if we're going to get into semantic antics here, I'm not interested. If we're, you know, I'm just not interested in defending what I do because I think I ha- I know that what I do works, and I know mm-hmm. that what I do works in a positive way. So if you have a question, I'll be happy to try and answer it. Okay. Everyone heard the warning. I will not be responsible if Jane Elliott uh, brings the wrath, if she's unhappy with your question or feels that uh, you're just calling to badger about semantics. But oh, I just won't answer. I just won't answer. I don't have to answer, you know, dumb stuff I don't bother with. Okay, go ahead. Okay, dokie. Uh, there's a non-white male who called in at uh, 404. There's a what? There's person a what? of color, person okay, of color non-white male. Uh, who called in at 404 who had a question, I believe specifically about your work. Uh, call if you have your question. Go right ahead. Hello, Miss Ms. Elliott. Yes. Yeah, um, in doing your research, uh, particularly the experience when you subject people to mistreatment uh, based on physical characteristics they have no control over, what did the mistreated white people say or do, uh, particularly the white people who behaved as if they desired to eliminate the mistreatment? Most, some of them left. A couple of times I've been hit by a white male during the exercise. I've had a knife pulled on me during the exercise. I have had absolutely unbelievable and unacceptable behaviors exhibited toward me because it's very difficult if you have been taught all your life that you're right because of the color of your skin to have someone stand up in front of a group of people whom you want to admire you and say, you aren't smart because you got the wrong color skin, is extremely difficult for white people to tolerate. And so I've had them leave the exercise. I've had them riot. 
<laughs> oh, Lord, we've had riots. We had a riot at the White House Conference on Children and Youth. We put the we put the delegates to the White House Conference on Children and Youth in 1970 through the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise, and they rioted, literally rioted, and they had to call in the the riot squad to put a stop to it. We had a riot at the University of Iowa <laughs> because wow. a group, yeah, literally rioted, and they called in the... The uh, campus police came down, and the regent came down and said, um, they read those people in the next room, the riot act. I, I thought there was just something my mother said, your dad's going to read you the riot act. No, there's a riot act that they read to rioters. And they came down and said to the people in the next room, if you do not stop um, um, occupying unauthorized university space, you will be taken downtown and booked. That's what, so people, many times, people who are not people of color, have a very difficult time relating to being treated the way they expect white people, uh, people of color, to accept being treated. I've had some really hairy experiences and and, uh, ugly experiences. The man who hit me, I finally had to get in his face and say, now, you have just assaulted me. And I am going to charge you with assault, and there are 40 people here who saw you assault me. Now, what are you going to do, fool? Mm. And he was absolutely terrified because he had, in fact, assaulted me. He he went off. <laughs> One pulled a knife on me. I've had I've had interesting experiences. It's hard for white people to handle what they expect people of color to handle for a lifetime. For even a few minutes, it's difficult for them. Did any, did any of the responses you saw from the white people, did you see that any of that um, would be uh, would be effective if non-white people used it to accomplish the same goal? If non-white people used it, they'd be in jail the next minute. Not they'd the, uh, not the, I suppose, the, uh, you know, the abuse, but I mean, did you see anything that... Uh, if that had been a, that if that had been a non-white, if that had been a black male who hit me, He'd have gone straight to jail. Do not pass go and do not collect $200. Make no mistake about that. The company would have fired him immediately. This was a white male. They shipped him out to Wyoming for four months as punishment. If he had, that had been a person of color, it, the punishment would have been a great deal greater. No, and people of color trying to react as white people do to mistreatment based on the color of their skin are accused of playing the victim. They're accused of not telling the truth. They're accused of being too sensitive. They're accused of not understanding. Have you heard any of these things? Oh, yeah. You've been accused of these things, right? Yes, ma'am. Even even though those things are happening to you, we accuse you of looking for a problem. Or I get this one a lot. If you people just keep in, keep coming in here and bringing up racism, if you wouldn't keep bringing up, it wouldn't be happening. Well, you can't come in and dig up, and they say dig up racism. You can't dig up something that isn't there. The racism is there long before I walk onto the property, and that's the reason they have me walk onto the property. And one of the reasons they have me come in and say these things is because if I say them, they can't be blamed. And then when I leave, they can say, well, that's, you know, we have to have we have to have diversity training every year. And so now we've had it, and we won't have to worry about it again for a year. I have that happen all the time. And they say, well, you know, that's just the way she is. Yeah, that's the way I am, because it's the way I am, not the way the system is. It's the way I am. 
It's called, you know, the Greeks killed the bears of bad bad tidings. Um, Corporations just... What do you think people of color should do or or say to try to eliminate uh, the mistreatment? Oh, man. You like people who are people of color? Absolutely support those who are people of color, even if they aren't the brightest bulb in the box, support them. Because we need them. We need to see your children. Children of all kinds need to see people of color in positions of power in this country. You won't be a black engineer until you see a black engineer. Get educated. The first thing you have to do is get you get educated no matter how hard it is, no matter how tough they try to make it. Stay with it. Get educated. Get your kids educated even if you hate the people who are teaching you. Get the education, because that's the way out. Thank you. Did I answer your question? Outstanding. Thank you, uh, caller. Appreciate the uh, question. Um, I thought this was going to happen. Now the phone line has exploded. Um, I do not know if these are non-white people or white people, but there are a lot of people <laughs> in. Um, I don't know. How do you feel? Because I had said uh, that we could... We, didn't have to do any uh, callers. Well, I'll tell you, you, I have, I just have a guest that came to our house for dinner because I thought we were going to be done by six thirty. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me see. Let me talk to this woman and see if she can wait for half an hour. My husband can heat up the chicken. We got the most delicious chicken for supper. Um, <laughs> can Can we wait for half an hour? Heat up the stuff, please. Okay. Well, you can heat up. Yeah, just heat it up, and then we'll be ready when I'm done. Now, well, this is really a terrific, terrific uh, chicken dish, and I don't want it to be ruined. Now, what's your question? <laughs> oh. This isn't the way your program usually goes, is it? Do I care? <laughs> this is an excellent program. I'm thankful really? for sharing some of your time. I hope the chicken does not get ruined on our account. Oh, no, 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 um, no. It's, it's really good. You really ought to try it. Anyway, go right ahead. Okay. I reserve the right to say, I'm not going to answer that question. Who do you think I am? I, I reserve the right I, to say that, and I will. I respect that completely, and uh, please, if you feel the question is, is not relevant or constructive, uh, we'll move right ahead. Oh, um, yeah, we will move right ahead. Okay, get, get, <laughs> move ahead. Quit promising. Let's go. <laughs> 731, do you have a, a question for Mrs. Elliott? I have a compliment. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your courage, your tenacity. Uh, I want to thank the host for bringing you on the show. This is outstanding. It's miraculous. It's healing. And it is just powerful. And may a thousand angels dance upon your grave and your ancestry for your truth, your integrity. And you are beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, now you've made me cry. I hope you're happy. Outstanding. Uh, let's see. This That's a lovely number... thing to say, and I appreciate it. I really, really, really do. Uh, caller at, I'm sorry, caller at uh, 111. Um, if you called in at 111, uh, we, can, we can hear you. Go right ahead. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hi. Um, I wanted to ask Jane this question. I had watched the video some years ago, and it was with the kids, and it was extremely interesting. And then I saw part of the video where I think it was with teachers or with union members. I'm not sure, but it was with adults. My Uh question is this. 
were the adults, were they mad because you had put them in a category of being inferior, or were they actually feeling inferior? And the reason I ask is because if I'm, let's say, uh, I have green eyes, and you tell me I'm a brown-eyed inferior person now, I'm thinking, my eyes haven't changed, I've had a position of power for all these years, somebody's telling me I'm now inferior, uh, I don't buy it. You know, Don't care. I'm, don't care whether you buy it. If I say it's true, it's true. And there's nothing you can do about it. And you can argue about it, and you can fight it, and you can disagree with it until hell freezes over. I'm the one in power, and you'll either do it my way or you hit the highway. And that's another thing that is extremely difficult for colorless non-females to experience is to have no power whatsoever except that which will be given to you by the person in charge who is in the, in the when I'm doing it uh-huh. a white female and and now an old white female right. who has no time for your tender sensibilities. Okay, so I treat I treat white people white males uh-huh. for a few minutes in their lives the way they have allowed me and people like me and people of color to be treated for a lifetime. And it is extremely difficult, and they are angry at the loss of power. This is all about power. White males have a tremendously difficult time dealing well, I, with having no power. Well, I agree with you. My thing is, um, by, were they angry because they were put into a category where the power was stripped, or do they actually feel as though they were now, they turned into inferior people and they felt inferior? Or did they, they turn felt, into inferior people oh, they and they did. say, I can't think. I couldn't think while she was doing that. Uh-huh. I lost my ability to think. They can't spell. They can't spell the word. I have them write four simple statements. No kidding. Good listeners have quiet hands, feet, and mouths. They can't spell quiet. <laughs> Good listeners keep their eyes on the person who is speaking. They can't spell there. Uh-huh. Good listeners listen from the beginning to the very end. They put in only put two ends in beginning. And they say after it's over, and good listeners decide to learn something. They can't spell decide. This really? happens every time I, I do that. the exercise. They fall apart in front of my very eyes. You know, I went to your website. I'm sorry. And I, I know they're going to now. because they've done it so often. I see. So is that... Hello? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Whoops. So I think one, we lost one, one, you. you. I'm here. Are you there? Yeah. Oh. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Was it that instantaneous? It it takes no time. Well, it doesn't. Wow. It takes a little time because first, when they come, you know, there's a, there's a whole there's a whole list of things that you do in this society to make to nail down the, the haves and the have-nots. First, when they come in, you make them sign in according to the color of their eyes. Now, most of them don't know what color their eyes are because they haven't thought about it for a long time, and that's interesting because oh, and so it's either brown or non-brown, and immediately they'll say, "Well, but I I don't have my brown eyes. My eyes are green." I say, "Are they brown?" Well, no, but they aren't blue. Are they brown? Well, no, then sign in under non-brown. Can't you read? <laughs> and then you can sit down at the table, and you have an ugly green collar, and you put it around their neck. And now they're really, they're angry. All of us, right now, they're angry because they don't want to wear that collar. Do I care? I'm not there to care about their, their tender feelings. They have to wear the collar. Then we send them to a room, all the non-browns, in which there are no amenities. And if they have, oh, Lord, I'll never forget the Marine who came up and had a, had a can of, of uh, soda in his hand, and I took it away from him and dropped it in the waste 
basket in front of him. I make him take the gum out of their mouths and spit it in the wastebasket. I rob them of their dignity, and I do it immediately. And then they go to a room in which there's nothing, and there's paper over the windows so that they can't look out and see the pleasant sight outside. And so they're already angry. And in one group, they, and we, they, they can turn, and there are only three chairs for 14 people. And in one group, they turned off the lights, and blue-eyed people sat around and told dirty jokes. Well, that tells you something about blue-eyed people, doesn't it? And the people who are the guards in the room come to me and tell me this is what they're doing in there, and I say, good, good, let me know what else they do. And they tell, come and tell me, they rat them out. Because that's what we do in this society. Make no mistake about that. This is nothing new for people of color. They know how this works. And they just go around grinning. The people of color by now are just grinning all over their faces because they're seeing people reacting to, as they have reacted, to treatment which they have received. Only in a very, in a very, uh, in a very limited way because we don't threaten anybody with loss of their home, loss of their job, loss of their mate, loss of their family, none of that. We're simply insulting them on the basis of the color of their eyes. And that's all racism is. It's insulting people and assuming power on the basis of a physical characteristic over which you have no control. These people are reacting to being offended publicly and on on a totally illogical basis. But no more illogical than skin color. Eye color is no more an illogical way to judge people than skin color is. They're caused by the same chemical, melanin. If you've got a lot of melanin in your skin, your hair, and your eyes, you have dark hair, dark skin, and dark eyes. If you only have a little, you're colorless. We're treating people positively or negatively on the basis of a chemical in their eyes and their skin. Makes no sense. Unless I do it, then it's perfectly logical. <laughs> <laughs> we have to we have to realize what the parameters are here. Wow. Um we had a caller, uh this is a non white person I know. Uh he has No, this a is person. not a non white person. This is a person of color. Now when person it's your show color. you can use non white, but when I'm on it, I want you to use person of color. That uh you being a white person, this could be racism white supremacy where you're dictating what a victim of racism is supposed to say. No, no. What this is, is I am attempting to let members of your audience know that if you can continue to use that term, people are going to start using it on you, and you aren't going to like it. And you're going to complain about it. White people are going to start using it? Yep, and you're not going to like it when they use it. It is not going to sound as as, um, non-offensive. When a white person says to you, well, you're a non-white person. Now think about that. You're a non-white person. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that is a, that's like saying, I don't dislike black people. I just think when I see one, I just think there, but for the grace of God, go I. You're going to find out that non-white is going to be used in a, in a most unpleasant way by white people. I wouldn't use it if I were you. But you, as I said before, you're welcome to use it, just not if you want me to respond to your questions. Okay. We have okay. A, uh, a young person. Uh, this is a person of color, as you say. My term okay. is still be non-white. This is a non-old person of color. Person of color. Okay. Okay. He has, a, he has a question he would like to ask you, Ms. Abby. All right. Go for it. Okay. Um, how is white supremacy better than justice? How is what? What's the question? How? Again? Huh? What's your question again? I didn't hear it. 
How is like your fantasy better than justice? How is what better than justice? How is white supremacy better than justice? How is white supremacy better than justice? No, I said why? I said why is white supremacy better than justice? It isn't. White supremacy is a lie. White supremacy is a myth. People are not superior because of the color of their skin. People are not superior because of the color of their eyes. Those things are, ought to be irrelevant. It ought not to matter what color your skin or your eyes are. There is no justice as long as people are treated unfairly on the basis of physical characteristics over which they have no control. Skin color is a physical characteristic over which you have no control. Nobody has the right to mistreat you because of the color of your skin. Did I answer your question? Uh, I think we got that one. Um, younger, we have younger listeners uh, to the program as well. Um, there is somebody who called in at nine eight zero nine eight zero. Did you have a question for Mrs. Elliot? Yeah, how you doing, Gus? This is Thomas. Oh, greetings, sir. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. And how are you doing this evening, Miss Elliot? I'm doing just fine, I think. What's your question? <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I'm not in, sure. In your, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> well, in, in regards to your your research o over the years, and like you said, this experiment um, that you've done, which is is masterful, by the way, um, would you would you say that? You know, when you, what is the experience? Because at one point, weren't you doing like consulting work? When you when you did this to with a, you did it, did you do this with adults as well? To my understanding. Oh yeah, I've been doing it with adults almost exclusively for the last ever since I left the cl uh, classroom in 1984. Okay, and, and the response. I mean, in terms of the, the companies, for instance, that you you did your work with and you did consulting with. Was there a profound change in their practice? They said there was. They said there was. I didn't. We didn't measure it, but they said there was. They said it created a different environment after the people had been through the exercise. It created a different environment in every one of those companies. And if it hadn't, they would not have had me come back. In one company, I worked in one company for three years, in another company for four. And they said it literally changed the way their people treated one another in the workplace. Oh. And mostly. Okay. Uh, Workshops like this usually have a lifespan of maybe two years. This one lasted for three years in one company and for four years in another. So, And, yes, it changed the way people behave toward one another in the workplace. Any other questions? Hello. Oops, sorry about that. I got muted myself. Uh, somebody else called in at uh, 111, different caller at 111. Are you there? Hotel victim. Greetings, Mr. 720. Thank you for calling in, sir. Yeah. Greetings, Ms. Elliott. Well, thank Greetings to you. I have two questions. Are you familiar with the work of uh, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing? 
Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and I I have read her book. What's the name of that book in which she describes? Uh, oh, my Lord, yes. Yes, I am. What, what's your question? Uh, my question is, have you had any uh, non-white people that are uh, not as confused about the system of white supremacy, what it is and how it works, and have you had them ask you about how you practice white supremacy? Nobody has ever asked me how I practice white supremacy because they don't have to. It's perfectly obvious to them how I practice white supremacy. They know full well that I am taking advantage of a situation that need never have occurred. They know full well that I am, because of the color of my skin, able to make money off racist behaviors. They know that. And they know that if they also know, they must know, that I wasn't making money for the first 10 years I did this exercise from 1968 to 1964, then 1984. That's more than 10 years, isn't it? Considerably more. So that isn't just a matter of making money with me. But I think that racism has to cost the people who are determined to continue to behave in racist ways. And the way you touch people's hearts in this country is by touching their top pocketbooks. If it costs, if when white people finally come to the conclusion that this country is in big trouble, it's going to be in really big trouble because there aren't enough white males being born in this country today to do the jobs in the future that white males have done in the past and are doing in the present. In the future, corporations are going to have to depend on the skills, the talents, and the abilities of women of all colors and males of color. People at the top of corporations are fully aware of this. They know that our population is becoming increasingly diverse. And so they've got to get white folks, colorless people, accustomed to dealing positively with those who are different from themselves. That's the only reason I have a job. Make no mistake about that. And people of color are aware of that, and they are willing to accept what I do because of that fact. I think. I think that's one of the reasons they are willing to allow me to do what I do. Does that answer your question? Somewhat, and I have one last question. Well, I, have um, to, I have to say one more thing here, though. This was not an experiment. I do not experiment with people. This is a learning experience. John Dewey said we learn by doing. The only way white people are going to understand what effect their behaviors have on people who are different from themselves is to be on the receiving end of those behaviors. This is not an experiment. I do not experiment with children. This is an exercise from which people learn a tremendous amount. Now, your next question, quickly, because my chicken's getting cold. Yes, how are you received by the non-white, or your term, uh, people of color uh, who participate? Obviously, some of them say, I'm just another honky bitch, quite frankly. Obviously, some of them say, she's doing this just to make money. Obviously, some of them say, how do you really feel? They don't trust me. They are suspicious of my the reasons I'm doing these things. I have to accept that. I wouldn't trust me either. I have a track record. I have 
put up with a whole lot of nonsense because of what I do. There is not enough money to pay me for some of the things that have happened to my children as a result of my work. And after the first few years of the ugliness, I thought these kids are going to hate me as long as they live. They never have. They are to this day saying, Mom, you did the right thing. We're glad you did it. It's been ugly. And I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm simply telling you that people say to me, well, you just want to get your name in the paper. If I really wanted publicity, it would be easier to get my name in the obituary column. Because they leave you alone. Well, sometimes they leave you alone once you're dead. This is not an easy way to live your life. But I have to get up in the morning and look at myself, face myself in the mirror. And if I have a way to change the level of racism in this country, and I know, and some of the people in this country, and I know it will work, and I don't use it, then I'm no better than the racists. And make no mistake about this, I'm a racist. I know I'm a racist. I'm a recovering racist, like I'm a recovering Republican. I can get over both of those things. Racism is a learned response. Anything you learn, you can unlearn. I can unlearn my racism, and I'm working at that. But I have to work at it every day because I was raised to be a racist. I was educated to be a racist. Columbus didn't discover America. He invaded it. Native Americans had a good religion before we came here and taught them how to do it right. The Koran is not as we Christians describe it. And we ran the Crusades for 300 years, killing people in the name of God. We've got a lot to apologize for. Uh, do you have time for one uh, one last question? One quick one. Okie dokie. 619, if you got a quick one uh, for Mrs. Elliott, go right ahead. 619. Okay, I'll try to do it by speaking quickly. Ms. Elliott, even if the net effect of your work over the years has been to uh, speed up the elimination of the uh, system of racism, white supremacy, uh, what, if any, ways uh, have the white people who have participated in your exercise learned to be more effective racists by going through your exercise? Learned to be more effective racists? They could do that. They absolutely could do that. But you see, these are adults. And that's a choice they make. I am not responsible for the choice they make. If they choose, and I say to them, you can either learn or not learn here today. That's up to you. What you do, what you take away from this workshop is up to you, not up to me. If you decide to be more racist as a result of going through this exercise, so be it. That's on your head. Do not blame it on me. Do not blame the exercise. If you're more racist, take Take responsibility for your own behaviors. And there is that danger. Absolutely there is that danger. But should I not do the exercise because some white person might become more racist when there's a very good chance that the vast majority of the people in that room are going to be less racist in their behaviors in the future? What would you do? No, I started the question by saying I assume that the net effect has been positive, but I was wondering what ways you have thought might help them practice racism more effectively as a result of having experienced the other side more directly? I tell like them. Specifically, can, what things would they learn about you practicing racism? You can, you, you can learn from this exercise how to put people down and make them miserable. 
But most white people don't have to have lessons in that. We know how to do it. We've exhibited our skills in that area for years. So, no, they, they don't need this exercise to teach them how to make people more miserable. I don't think that that's, that that is what they do. I doubt very much that that's the outcome. I haven't seen a lot of that. Okay? Thank you. Thank You're you. most welcome. Thank you for the question. Wow. I think the uh, program might have been constructive. Uh, I think uh, the listeners might have learned some uh, helpful information about racism. Uh, today. Do you have anything you'd like to say uh, to wrap up the program, Mrs. Elliott? I think they listened. And as I said before, what you take away from this is up to you. If you take away nothing but anger and disgust mm. and hatred of me, that's your that's your prerogative. Take away what you want to. Mm. But some people will learn from this because they choose to. Some people mm. will not because they choose not to. And that's their responsibility, not mine. Just remember, mm. the next time you sing the Star Spangled Banner, Think when you sing those la- that last sentence. We live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. You'll think about it in a different way. Even though you don't want to in the future, you'll think about it in a different way. And you'll say to yourself, damn that woman. <laughs> <laughs> and then I will have won, my friends. <laughs> then my, wow. my afternoon will not have been wasted. <laughs> Any other questions, comments, complaints? Because if there are, I'm hanging up now. Uh, Can we get you back on the program down the road? (laughs) Are you out of your mind? You'll probably lose your job. (laughs) If you still have a job next week, give me a call and we'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I'd hate to have you lose your job because of this, but if you do, hey, you live with the consequences of your behaviors. I can dig it. Yeah, you and I both. Thank you for sharing some of your Sunday with us. Well, you're certainly welcome. Thank you for calling me. Thank you. Enjoy the chicken, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk to you down the road soon. All right, anytime. Yes, ma'am. All right, goodbye then. Thank you. Oh. Oh, wow. I think that was constructive. I think she had a lot of great stuff to share with us, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, We're going to uh, take a quick commercial. We have folks on the line if you want to share uh, comments, questions, or what have you. Uh, We'll be right back. I'm going to do uh, Mr. Williams' commercial, and uh, we can uh, share thoughts on the program with Mrs. Jane Elliott. Uh, Context of white supremacy, Gusty Renegade. We'll be right back. Is racism hurting you? On issues of race, are you unable to speak, think, and act with clarity and confidence? Are you tired of laughing when nothing is funny, smiling when you are not happy, agreeing when you really disagree? At counterracism.com, you can learn specific strategies and techniques to counter the behaviors of the people who practice racism in all areas of activity. Using words correctly, following counter-racist logic, even counter-racist science projects designed to reveal what racism is, how it works, and how to counter it. The open source code writing format allows you to pick and choose from a variety of counter-racist suggestions so you can produce the code that works for you. Stop by counterracism.com today and help replace racism with justice. 
That's counter-racism.com. Welcome to the desert of the real. Peace, family. This is your brother, Hollop, a.k.a. Mr. Holipsis, a.k.a. the Buzz Killer. Tune in to Holipsism's Haven every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we discuss the social, economic, and political issues of the day with a common-sense approach, an African-centered perspective, and a universal sensibility. Call in number 347-843-4874. That's 347-843-4874. To check out related YouTube videos, blogs, and show archives, visit www.holipsism.com. That's www.holipsism.com. I'm making it hard to get your Negro on. Hotep, Black Power. There's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. Context of white context of white supremacy. Uh, Gusty Renegade back uh, program with Jane Elliott. We have uh, one, two, three, four folks on the line. If uh, you all want to share your views, uh, go right ahead. I do want to take uh, one minute to uh, share my view of the term non-white. Uh, would have been nice if we could have had a discussion around that. As I told her on the program, I suspect that she could have been practicing racism uh, and our uh, disagreement about the use of the term non-white. Uh, as a victim of racism, white supremacy, I would not be upset in the least if white people uh, referenced me as non-white every day uh, and whatever they said, hey, you non-white, get over there to the non-white part of town. That's what they do anyway, really, by the way, when they're saying black and ghetto and all these other terms. I would not be upset in the least. What it would do is make things crystal clear as to who is being mistreated and on what basis you're being mistreated because you are not white. I have no problem. What she said was, uh, it sounds plantation. That was what she said, if you, if you caught the first part of the program. And that's exactly what I've been saying. We're still on the plantation. <laughs> Yeah, she said, she did. She said, instead of listening to Big Daddy, you should listen to Big Mama. That was what she said, and that's exact. I'm in total agreement. That's what this is, the plantation. We should use terms that accurately describe the plantation. If non-white sounds plantation, then I'm for sure going to be using it because Gus is still on the plantation. I haven't found out where you get off the plantation. I don't know where the exits are. Big Mama and Big Daddy have got this on lock worldwide, as she said. So that would be my view on that. If you don't think it's constrained, as you've heard now, several people have come here and said exactly what she said. It gives power to white people. It's self-negating. Dr. Robert Williams uh, and other people have come on this program and said the exact same thing, although they have all agreed yeah, the plantation of white supremacy does exist worldwide, and they have even been honest about their position in that. Dr. Williams, who said the same thing uh, Jane Elliott did with regards to non-white, said he was a victim of racism. Jane Elliott said, I'm a white person and I'm racist. So they've acknowledged their position on the plantation. So that's all I'm saying. I think it's constructive in revealing uh, that we are in a system of white supremacy and people are mistreated because they are not white. I could be incorrect about that, but uh, I don't think so. Um, but hopefully you can, uh, based on the information that you've heard on the program, you can you know, come to your own conclusion about whether or not you think 
the use of the term is constructive uh, in working against racism, white supremacy. Um, I was in the process of opening lines up, and the switchboard crashed. So I think some people are on the line. If you're on the line, uh, just say something. This is Thomas. Can you hear me? Yes, can hear you. Is anybody else there? Something. Oh, got you. Got two. Uh, I think 720 might be the only person I missed. 720, are you there? Yep. Switchboard crashed as I was opening lines up. Sorry, 720. Uh, my apologies. Um, but at least we got two of them. Uh, did you all have thoughts or, or comments on uh, what Jane Elliott had to share or anything else racism related? Yeah, go ahead, Thomas. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was extremely constructive. Uh, it was kind of actually mind-blowing. I, I wasn't expecting that level of candor. I was expecting more of the same. I, you know, so this is my first time hearing her uh, speak um, so I, I was very uh, surprised by the level of candor. Uh, she made no qualms about her position. I can appreciate that because if every white person was that way, you would know where you stand, and they cut down on the confusion. So I appreciate that. Hello? 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 Okay, I heard a phone ring. Okay. I did, too. I heard a phone ring. Is there, did somebody else join the so line? did I. I don't know. I think I, I, Gus, you better watch out. Blog talk might you might be giving out too much constructive information here, my friend. <laughs> I, no, I'm gonna tell you. I, you know, I'm gonna tell you. Me, me and uh, me and Vanessa were talking, and you know, it's like you know when I I did something telling people about credit and where they can get you know low interest rate loans. I started having problems. They gave me a 15 minute show. Wow. I'm not wow. lying. I, I, I did the show and I started talking about how to. We had to go to get your credit repaired, you know, legally, you know, through who actually creates your credit scores and all that stuff and how you can go to NACA and get this money, how you can get money. It's like in Detroit, Michigan, for instance, you can get up to $75,000 of down payment assistance for a house. Yes, yes, sir. And when I did the show, they gave me, I mean, I literally booked it a week in advance. I had, a, I had two one-hour shows, and the next thing you know, I had a 15-minute time slot that they gave me. Wow. You couldn't change it? You couldn't go in and, and make it a nah. nah, I just, because I went in there and it was like, you know, I called in. I looked, I was like, I did, I did this a whole week in advance, you know, just to make sure I can get the slot. And then they gave me two 50-minute slots. So I still was able to stay on, but it wasn't streaming. Mm. Wow. I, <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. Um, yeah, I... You should expect that. I guess that would mean, perhaps be a sign that you're doing constructive work. Uh, I'm not surprised. Uh, I think everybody on the line, I think uh, Ms. Cree and myself can also uh, give our own testimony of uh, strange tech problems we have experienced in attempting to do programs uh, that are working against racism in some manner. So uh, expect it. I'm glad you're uh, continuing undeterred. Keep up the work. If there's anything I can do to promote or uh, assist, please let me know. Absolutely. What's the name of the show? Ujama Black Wall Street. Spell that for me, please. U-J-A-M-A-A slash Black Wall Street Project. All right. Thank you. This has been an excellent show. 
where did you come from? I might ask because I don't I don't even know. If, I'm not upset. I just uh, I heard the phone ring. Uh, the person that just uh, wanted to show information. I'm seven three one. Oh okay. I didn't think I got you on the line. I guess I did. Thank you for calling. Right? <laughs> did you did you have a question for Mrs. Elliot, or were you just calling? Listening? No, I was I was I was complimenting Mrs. Elliot uh, for the oh. excellent show and information and oh, okay. the work that she's doing. Okay. Okay. I'm Dr. Ima Sarah. I'm say that one more time. I'm Dr. Ima Sarah. Okay. Okay. You have a program here, Blog Talk, too. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. Gotcha. I've seen your program. I've seen your program. Thank you for uh, for listening. I'm glad it was of some value. Yeah, I'm glad I listened because uh, my soul was truly blessed tonight. <laughs> right on. Right on. Yeah, I, I thought, uh, Mrs. Elliot, I I don't remember. I think it's my heart is fierce. That's the uh, handle of the person who sent me a message uh, with all of her information, uh, Jane Elliott's info. He he thought she would be a good guest. Um, I don't know if he's listening now or not. Thank you for the uh, suggestion. Um, but, yeah, when I spoke with her yesterday, um, and I actually woke her up. I called her at about 6 a.m. accidentally because I thought she was uh, on the East Coast. Um, so I thought it was 9. But, uh, yeah, I called, woke her up at 6 o'clock. Um, she sounded the exact same way yesterday as she did today. Um, she said she was, you know, not pulling any punches. She was old. Uh, she said she was tired and angry, and she was probably going to offend people in the way that she speaks, honestly. And I said that was no problem. Um, yeah, she, she said she was going to speak uh, pretty openly. I think she uh, she stuck true to her word on the show. I think she had constructive things to share. Miss um, Cree, are you still with us? Yes, I'm here. Oh, okay. um, did you yeah, have? I, I, I also found it constructive. There's a lot of constructive information. Um, I guess the thing that, uh, I mean, you know, I, I think I could probably share a lot of things that I found constructive, but there's a pattern I found curious. Isn't this your third guest, Gus, your third white female guest who had to leave the show because they were expecting dinner guests? At least the third one, at least. I know Jessica Pettit, the first time she was on, yes, she left uh, to get lasagna or something, um, and uh, why? And they have all been admitted racists, at least that I can think of. Three admitted racist females have all uh, been on the program for two hours but said, I got to go dinner date, or have been cooking in the process of doing the program. So, yes, excellent, uh, excellent catch. Yeah, I found that really curious. Either they, they've, they've set that up in advance as, a, as an exit, Strategy so that they won't have to take as many questions, or yeah, as they as they uh, might, or there is the possibility, um, maybe it's and or that um, something I didn't know that maybe white people have each other over for dinner a lot more frequently. Uh, maybe this is just <laughs> maybe this is just a, a custom that they have in sharing information. Maybe this is part of the way that they practice the system. I don't know. But um, if that's not the case, well, they do. <laughs> oh, they do. They they oh, have they have yeah. one one another over for dinner very frequently. Yes, they do. Because that would be a high percentage. I mean, the mm-hmm. odds of the, of someone all the planning that to I have know. guests over for di- excuse me. I said all the ones that I know. They entertain wow. very frequently. Yes. 
Wow, because they're planning to do it on a day that they know they have a radio show, and they're planning for the dinner to be right after the show, right? I mean, that's really odd. So that must be something they just have to do, I guess. Well, she's, I think she did say that she wasn't uh, planning on being on this long uh, anyway. Right, but I'm just saying, like, if I if I agreed to be a guest on a radio show, I don't think that I would plan to have guests over for dinner right after the show because it would just be too tight in terms of um, making sure everything was prepared. You know what I'm saying? So it's like that's just really unusual to me, and the odds of that happening three times seems mm-hmm. to be. Well, I yeah. guess they, they don't have as much pressure as we do, and then I guess after the show they want to share it uh, and talk about it. And have good chicken. She maybe wants some of that chicken, though. <laughs> she maybe wants some of that chicken, but one of the things that I got out of that, that she said, we need to stick together. You know, that was really um, important. Uh, she said that, you know, when she said not trusting, you know, she wouldn't trust her because at the end of the day, she's white, and they're going to all get together and stick together regardless to what, you know, she's advocating or stating, which would be kind of futile for one to step in the arena with us because we're so discombobulated, we're not going to stick together. You know, we're going to be trying to get up in the hen house with them. So that was interesting. And the, it could be a debriefing session, the uh, the dinner, to share uh, what they heard on the show, what they said on the show, to uh, share information with other white people uh, about racism. Uh, that could be happening as well. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. The, uh, the folks on the line, I guess, uh, how did you all feel about her views on the use of the term non-white? I, I guess you know it, it was like you said it was pretty overt her practicing racism white supremacy by invoking uh, what she felt was was proper to us versus the difference is when we come up with the term that we are willing to accept and feel comfortable with and still yet she wanted to superimpose her thoughts on on that on what we believe is uh, correct for us. I think that's just blatant. I mean, she I mean, she admittedly open that she's a she's a racist, so it's not to be. I'm not that surprised. So. Yeah, I thought that she was practicing. I suspected that she was practicing white supremacy because it's one thing to not to not want to use the term yourself, um, but it's another. I was actually, you know, it's. A, I I felt uh, her uh, abusing, or yeah, I felt her using her power as a white person, because it's one thing to say I'm not going to use the term myself, but it's another to tell you what you should say mm-hmm. anywhere. I don't care if it's on a sidewalk, but on your own radio show to stop you every time you use the term that you choose and tell you incorrect, like she's. I mean, she was basically with a master-slave relationship in terms of choice of words. She told you what words you could and could not use. Not just that she prefers, that she would use a different word. She told you. She stopped you every time you used. I couldn't believe that. Wow. 
Well, you know, she she gave a reason why she said that as well, because uh, the way if it's thrown back at you, how would you feel? But this is something that I found, and it may or may not mean anything to anybody, but I found that white and black words, the words, are adjectives. And we all know that an adjective modifies a noun. So I went down in Mexican, um, Japan, Japanese, uh, African, not African, you know, A-R-I-F-F-I-N. Now that's a noun, but African is an adjective uh, slash noun. So the the correct for me, this is just for me, I'm not telling anybody how to think, Um we're all spiritual beings in a body having an earthly existence because when we shed our skin, there's not going to be any skin color. And so, and we're labeling stuff that has been mislabeling. So we're, you know, carrying on the lie, you know. And I think that it was huge for the fact that she came on and said that God is black. He's not white. And that's something, you know, a lot of the misnomers that have been taught us uh, through slavery and misinformation is going to take a person of um, another ethnicity to come forward and say, these are lies. You know, so I'm looking at the good, you know, to, you know, to go in there and why she said it, the fact that she said it and she brought forth truth is enough in itself for me. And I think that we need the engagement of being able to support. Because she was literally saying, well, you support your people. It's just like the president. Um, other people of ethnicities, they're going to stand behind their people. But we, you know, we jump the ship and leave them out to sink. You know, we if master's not there with us on deck, then we're not with them. Anybody to stand up. So I think we need to stick together, right or wrong. We need to, you know, because of strength and unity and in numbers. And so accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative. It's, a, it's irrelevant to me if she's a racist or whatever. What is powerful that she came on and she brought the truth. And if that's all we leave, you know, come away from this discussion tonight is thinking about her overt plan or whatever, I think that's kind of sad. But that's my take. Um, I guess my comment would be um, I don't. I try not to focus on one specific thing that any guest that comes on the program says. I try to uh, keep it in context, uh, context of white supremacy first and foremost, but in the context of the entire program uh, generally, uh, there are a lot of interesting things that people say when they're on the program. I think a lot of things that she said uh, were very interesting. I think her her uh, her views and uh, talking about how white people uh, have made Jesus white and conditioned non-white people to worship a white image of God, very constructive. I think she had a lot of constructive things to, sh- to share. But I also uh, do think that I suspect she practiced racism, particularly with uh, her uh, pretty much demanding the use of the term people of color as opposed to 
non-white, and I do think that's important. Uh, I definitely want to say I do not think it's irrelevant at all, uh, her saying that she's a racist. I think that's extremely relevant. Uh, I'm going to make sure I alter the description of the program to include that. I think that's very important, uh, particularly for non-white people, uh, to not lose sight of that information uh, when they're talking with a white person uh, and being suspicious. Um, she talked about that on the program, that a lot of the non-white people that she uh, has contact with, they're suspicious of her. Um, I think this program has evidenced and my own observations have shown that non-white people, uh, in my view, tend not to be suspicious of white people. Um, it's certainly not suspicious enough uh, in suspecting that that white person could be a racist. So I would hope that's something that people do keep in mind, even when appreciating uh, constructive things that she shared, uh, they feel it's something that she shared that was of value. Still keep in mind this person uh, has admitted to being racist, uh, that they did share constructive information, but this person has admitted to being a racist. I think that's very important uh, to not lose sight of that. Um, okay, that's, that's a good point, but, you know, we have a serious problem with reverse discrimination. Oh, hang on. What, hang on, hang on. What do you mean when you say reverse discrimination? Reverse discrimination is when we come together against one another. Wait, wait, who are you, wait a minute. Who are you talking about? You said I'm talking about, well, you know, there was a particular situation that took place. There was a young woman that was a community activist, and she had found a building uh for the community, she was um, she loved the community and the children. That was her main thing, uh, education. And there was a rift, and these were all um, African Americans in the building. She didn't dot all her eyes and teeth, so she let another person take over the leadership. The city rented them the building, leased them the building for a dollar a year. Some people came from out of town. I don't know where they came. Anyway, it was a lot of dissension. The uh, the city was going to take the building back, and this woman, she cried out. And so they, they had the black city, uh, the, the black county commissioners come together to create a solution for the problem. Their solution was, which she was hoping to get the building back, she had support, but they came together and they created a chamber of commerce and they took ownership of the building. Uh, this young woman, she ended up dying. Nope. And, and all these people that all of a sudden there was this big interest in this building, none of them prior to this had ever set foot in this building. When she passed away, the county mayor named the building after her. And everybody just went away. So now the building is just sitting there. And it's when we come together, we can't come together and make something happen. We, you know, we, we make, what is it, $9 billion that we spend, and less than 1% of that come back into the community. So what is wrong with us that we are empowering other people, and you see it in all the cities, where other uh, races have come in and set up shop. We have none, and we keep them going. And, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is wrong with that picture. 
Why do we do this? Why would we not support one another? Why are, you know, our businesses falling down? And why will we not come to the assistance of one another to keep ourselves empowered? We have everybody with all this education, but we have no uh, no businesses in our community pass a barbershop, a beauty shop, uh, a sundry store, and maybe a few clothing stores, maybe. You know, but very few uh, ownership of gas stations, cleaners, laundry mats. In some locations, you will find cleaners and laundry mats, and then others you won't find any. Yeah, I definitely think that's a very, very serious um, problem, and I too have seen that problem. Um, and I'm sure we're not the only two black people who've noticed that very serious problem. I thought that uh, the guest today. Jane Elliott may have addressed that because she said that just in that small amount of time where she subjected uh, the white persons who were in the not who were in the non-power group, I think that was the blue-eyed persons, in a very short period of time, uh, started uh, to mistreat each other and start started snitching on each other right. um, in order to gain fav- favor with uh, the power group. Mm-hmm. So if that's something that they do after simply being subjected to the type of treatment and and mental conditioning that we are subjected to for a lifetime. And they just did that after a couple of hours. If you can imagine that black people are subjected to this more than any other group of people who are not white to a much greater, almost I think exponentially greater degree, um, in, in, in combination with the fact that all of, so most of, if not all of, to do that has been met with violence like Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, you know, I can understand. I'm not saying it's a correct thing and it's something that we have to somehow address, but I, I can understand why under a system of white supremacy and severe mistreatment within that system uh, relative to other people who are not white, why it's happening. Hmm. So what's the solution to the pollution? Or is there any solution? I definitely think there's a solution. I wouldn't be participating in these shows and um, having my own show uh, if I didn't think there was a solution. Any problem, as Mr. Fuller, um, Mr. Neil Fuller often says, any problem that is made by people can be um, solved by people. But uh, the solution is to eliminate the system of white supremacy, and it's basically jujitsu, right? So. If they've got, if if the white supremacists have decided that they are going to be in control of everything, that means that we make them responsible for everything that is going wrong, for all the problems that we have, for all the bad things that happen to us, including the bad things that we do to themselves, just like you hold prison wardens and prison guards responsible for all the damage that prisoners do to each other and to themselves. So we make them responsible for that. Um, at this point, you know, again, this is just my opinion, and I could be incorrect. At this point, I do not think inside of a prison we can really organize, because white supremacy to me is an open-air prison. Um, I do not think that we can organize clubs against it. What we're going to have to do is use the power of the guards against themselves, and we're going to have to use that to get rid of the system of white supremacy on an individual basis. I don't think that we can, like, do it in groups, because... If you, I think somebody else had always had said this, and I've been talking too much, but if you had 100,000 people in a club, 
are in a group, an organization, and you dismantle that organization, you've dismantled the work of 100,000 people. But if you have 100,000 people individually doing what they do to counter racism on their own in their daily life, not in a club, that really cannot be dismantled. So that that's how I choose to address it. But, you know, I could be incorrect. I'm always seeking to learn. Mr. Thomas, are you are you still with us? Yes, I'm here. I'm just listening. I I think she's absolutely right. Um, you know, when a lot of people, you know, I talk to some people, and everyone uh, that I know who has participated in the political system, they're, they're very disillusioned about certain things, and you know, they they think that by you know getting together and getting you know people agitated, motivated, uh, or inspired. Um, and having a figurehead is going to get it done. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, those people are maybe misinformed because anytime we've, there's no evidence to support that that has been truly effective in dismantling white supremacy. In fact, whenever you have that situation, they always find a way to take down the figurehead and dismantle the organization. So I agree with what McCree was saying. I think um, I watched some of the uh, videos of the uh, exercise that uh, Mrs. Elliott runs, and uh, she does like a debriefing session when the exercise is completed, where she just talks to everyone uh, as one big group. And the group that was mistreated, uh, the blue eyes in the study exercise, um, some of the people commented that when they were being picked on and abused, uh, the other blue eyes didn't support them. Uh, they didn't say anything. They just kind of sat quietly and, and, and didn't respond at all. And they said that that really upset them. They were really upset that the other uh, people who were being mistreated didn't come to their aid and didn't do more to resist the mistreatment. And, and as Chris said, you know, this is just, you know, in a little study that happens for a couple hours um, when this conditioning is going on every day, uh, as uh, Ms. Elliott said, uh, it starts before you're even born. Uh, I think the non-white people, um, I mean, they're just going to be bombarded uh, with conditioning to mistreat one another and to not think well uh, of one another and to worship white people. Um, so, I mean, I, I think to, to counter that dynamic as to us not supporting uh, black businesses or efforts that non-white people make, um, as Greece said, you have to replace the system of white supremacy with a system of justice. Um, I don't. I don't think any uh, black business or any non-white enterprise is going to function correctly as long as the system of white supremacy exists. So uh, that's my. I could be incorrect. That's my view. Um, yeah. Did anybody? I thought that was real interesting. Her view on the film The Blind Side. Um, I was going to say that I'm lazy, but that's not true because uh, I've been. I think using my time and energy constructively to do programs and, and other work, but. Uh, I have not seen the film yet, so I couldn't really comment about, you know, whether or not what she said was correct or if I disagreed. Has anybody here seen that film, or do you, anyone here have a view on her her thoughts on The Blind Side being a, a great film and, and working against racism ostensibly? No. I haven't seen the film. Go, I'm, go ahead. Yeah, I haven't seen the film either. I, 
I don't know. This is me personally. Maybe I'm wrong feeling this way. I feel like the food was kind of insulting. I maybe should watch it just to see it, you know, but I, I don't get a warm, fuzzy feeling from films like that, so I, I, I have not seen it, but I maybe should, so. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to go see it. Um, I don't want to go see Precious for the same reason. Um, yeah, because of. Uh, uh, I mean, I just already know the the imagery, even without the words in the in the storyline. Um, to me, uh, are really clearly serving um, psychological programming that serves serves the system of white supremacy. Even if the storyline just is just as she says it is. Um, the the young male didn't have to be you know an obese uh, slow child uh, that that's certainly not something when you look at at the many many films where you know where where there are white youth in them they don't have they don't show them looking so unattractive um, and yet we we're constantly having to be bombarded with that for the most part they show white people in the media in their best light um, and we don't we don't we're not afforded that so. I, I, I found that offensive, um, but for the sake of counter racism, I'm probably gonna have to drag myself in to see it, just like I had to drag myself in to see Avatar. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Cool. yeah I need to see all of those. I haven't seen any of them. Uh, I wish I had at least seen Blindside, so I could have uh, responded. But I know uh, I, I have heard non-white people express a lot of the same concerns that. Uh, Creed just shared about uh, the blind side just based on either they have seen the film or the previews that they've seen. Um, yeah, I, I know Dr. Wells, and when she was here, she talked about uh, the blind side, and she did not think it was uh, a great work that was uh, combating racism, white supremacy. Um, you can check that out to hear hear what she had to say. But, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I found that very interesting. She said uh, there was another film. She said uh, Invictus. I haven't seen that either, but she felt that was also a great film, Working Against uh, Racism. I haven't seen that either. I think that's that's also out uh, or a pretty current uh, release uh, that she also thought was constructive. So um, I already seen it. You saw that, you know, you can uh, you can share or uh, or you can check it out and uh, come to your own conclusion if you think it's constructive, uh, Working Against Racism, White Supremacy. I am... Uh, quite suspicious uh, going into the film, but I, I will at least check it out um, to see what she had to share. Um, I know there was a non-white person who was listening to the program, and uh, he heard Cree's comments about um, uh, Mrs. Elliott being racist uh, with the terms, and, and he just uh, he said uh, he wanted to remind you that she did say, uh, this is uh, Big Mama telling you what to say, what not to say. Those are her exact terms uh, on the program. So uh, I, she seemed very aware of the dynamic of her being a white person, telling a non-white person what to say or what to do. She seemed very conscious of that dynamic. I was too, and I hope the listeners are as well. Uh, and, and conscious of her admitting to be a racist. That needs to be factored in as well. I hope every non-white person who tuned into the broadcast, I hope they keep that in mind. Um, as we discuss this and, and say that, you know, we suspect she was being racist uh, in her demands about what I should or should not say in a discussion of racism. Um, you see, the other thing that I found was interesting um, was that she said early on that she was shocked when she was a young teacher 
that uh, when Martin Luther King was killed, she was shocked to hear other white people saying these vile things about uh, him needing to be killed and other vile things about black people. Um, and then later in the show, um, she said, which I thought was really, really um, instructive, that when white people say bad things, derogatory things about um, black people, that they assume that everyone there agrees with them. Uh, it, it, for you to, and the logic of that to me is that if you can make that assumption, that means that you've had a lifetime of experiences with other white people in groups that confirm that assumption. So then it made me go back to the original statement that she made, that she was shocked that these white people held these views, when surely by the time she was an adult, white person, she had heard these things many times and come to the same conclusions, especially in 1968. So I was, a little, I was a, a little bit confused. It seems to me that one of those two things could not be true. I thought the second statement was true. I've heard a number of white people say that, that when they are in groups of white people. In fact, I had one student tell me, that whenever he is around just white people, every single time someone white says something negative about somebody not white, every single time. So I, I think the second thing that she said was true. And so then it makes me wonder what got her started and, you know, makes me wonder about that first date that she made, that all. I was, I was thinking about that, uh, that exact portion of the program, um, I was just, in terms of what you just said, I think uh, perhaps uh, she was thinking that the white people that she taught around would be more refined and that they would not make such a uh, vile, explicit statement of their racism. Perhaps she expected them to be more refined and say, oh, my gosh, that's, that's terrible. That shouldn't have happened. Still being racist, but just, you know, we're not supposed to be running around and, and celebrating uh, the execution of uh, Martin Luther King, Jr., um, but I, I agree wholeheartedly. The second statement, I believe that's true. And I clarified and asked her if racists think that if you are white, you're racist. And she said, yes, absolutely. And I've had that experience with white people repeatedly where they said racists assume that if you are white, you are racist. I hope non-white people will function with the exact same logic in the system of white supremacy, that if you're talking to a white person, you should assume that person is racist. You should use the exact same logic uh, because it seems to be true in a system of white supremacy. The evidence would suggest it's true. I think we would make a lot of progress, uh, and that would aid in us understanding why we should be suspicious. I, I definitely thought that was a gem uh, when she shared that on the program and explained why. I thought that was great. Uh, because, I, as, as I said, I've had that experience with white people before. I don't know if other white people have come on the program and said it, but, uh, yeah, it was great to get that uh, recorded, and I hope people will really think about that. Racists assume if you're white, you're racist. If you're non-white, just think to yourself, do I think the same way? And more importantly, do I function with white people in a manner that suggests I think white people are racist? Think honestly to yourself about that in the way you relate to white people, especially if you're in a sexual relationship with a white person. Really think about that. I wholeheartedly, as you would say, concur. I agree. Can't argue with logic. 
what 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 I want to know when Martin Luther King uh, back in the sixties, he did not have the support, the full support of his people, and it seemed that we always uh, respect people after their demise. And you know, with the, uh, the the different holidays, um, with the intelligentsia that we have among us now today, why um, are we still accepting one month uh, celebrating our history when our history is 360? Without us, there was no history. We created history. Um, so I, you know, I really find that interesting, and you know, even with the president today. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm just trying to understand, cause I'm, you know, what you all are really saying, you know, because racism serves nothing or anyone, period. And uh, that's the misnomer. And I think if you uh, go and research those words and find out if they're actually a noun or adjective, and, you know, we are the cream, you know, we are the gods of the universe, but we're still asleep as to who we are and the power. We're powerful beyond measure. And if we can just give ourselves permission to just stand, and you know, and, and don't focus on racism, because I look at that as a deterrent of the bigger picture, but focus on the greatness that we have and what we want to do and what we want to achieve and go about and be about it. But again, to me, the fact that she alluded to the truth that uh, God, Jesus, you know, they're black. And so then if you off into the Christian religion, you off into that white supremacy system deep, very, very deep. Because they created it. God did not create religion. And so all the divisions, and then you have to ask yourself to be intellectually honest. Why do you believe like you believe and where did your belief system uh, stimulate from? Well, that's a different, that's a different topic for a different show. So You, you can know, go on for hours on that. Yeah, you know, so that's worthy of... Uh, a, a year worth of programming. Mm-hmm. Why do we think like we think? You know, it came from the white, the you know, the supremacist system. They taught us. And we believe like we believe, we talk like we talk, and we act like we act. You know, so we have to um, deprogram ourselves from all this crap that we've ever been taught. So the fact, like I said, for me, because we're so big in the church, that she said Jesus was black. It's powerful in itself. So why do you? Why have you been thinking? Why did some um, white person have to come on to tell us that Jesus was not white? That God uh, is not white. Because there's some people like my mother. That would fight you about that. About Jesus being a white person, your mother would. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, she said he's white. You know, they, you know, they got the white pictures hanging on the wall. 
So, you know, you go in, uh, that's scary, you know, to go in a, what is it, what's the term you use, a non-white person's house, and they got a white man hanging on the wall and a big cross. You know, the whole belief system that non-whites believe uh, came from the white supremacy. It's all about power, conquering, and dividing. Yeah, that. I hope this program is constructive in uh, focusing exactly on what you just talked about in terms of, of non-white people really thinking about why they have the views that they do, why they mm-hmm. think about the world and the manner that they do, uh, and that ultimately uh, we're in a system of white supremacy where white people have conditioned and trained non-white people to think like that because it supports uh, the system of white supremacy. Uh, the reason that I make an effort to get uh, white people, admitted racists, uh, such as Jane Elliott, Tim Wise, Jessica Pettit, and the other people on the program, is because mm-hmm. uh, you said your mother, uh, she would argue uh, mm-hmm. if someone came to her and said, you know, uh, you're, you're talking crazy, saying Jesus is a white person. That's crazy. That's blasphemous. It's been my experience that non-white people have a very different tone when a no, white person. No, she would say if you said he was black, she have a problem with that. Okay, it has been my experience that non-white people have a very different tone when a white person comes and tells them information that they don't agree with. When a white person comes and says Jesus is black. That non-white person may argue, but they will have a very different demeanor than if I, a so-called black male, came to mm-hmm. tell your mother that Jesus mm-hmm. is a black person. Mm-hmm. I have seen this over mm-hmm. and over and over, even if it's Neely Fuller Jr. Uh, or Dr. Welsing saying whatever their view is on racism, white supremacy, if a white person said it, mm-hmm. I have seen it has a very different impact on <laughs> on white people, which in itself is evidence of how powerful the mm-hmm. system of white supremacy is. Just mm-hmm. because a white person says one plus one is two, it has mm-hmm. a much greater impact than a non-white person saying mm-hmm. one plus one mm-hmm. is two. Mm-hmm. I hope this program uh, is of some value in that effort mm-hmm. in getting white people to come and get this information to help uh, hopefully uh, expedite the process of us denigerizing ourselves and uh, right. Realizing, hey, these white people have done a lot to confuse how we think about the world uh, and really just to mess us up and confuse us. I hope mm-hmm. so. Maybe not. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it is messing you up, then don't listen. Don't uh, mm-hmm. don't waste your time hanging out here mm-hmm. if it's not a constructive value because we waste, uh, as, as she said on the program, we waste too much time on stuff that has absolutely no value at mm-hmm. all. Uh, so if this is not doing the job, don't tune in. Uh, you can check Cree's program out. Uh, you check, she'll have Dr. Welsing on her show on uh, the 16th at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Check her program out if this is a waste of time. Uh, or you can go to Dr. Sarah's program, check her out if this is a waste of time. Uh, Mr. Thomas, he also has his program. Hopefully the uh, suspected racist will not be interfering and holding him to 15-minute shows. But you can go <laughs> and support, uh, support his program and fix your credit. That will be of some constructive value. Uh, or other financial tips that he has to uh, to share. Miss um, Cree, did you want to plug uh, the Dr. Weldon Show, which you all are going to be discussing next weekend? Right. This uh, Saturday on the 16th, we're going to be discuss- discussing matters of uh, related to sex under white supremacy, um, the option of not having 
children under the system of white supremacy, not not uh, not birthing them into a system of slavery under the system of white supremacy, just an option. Um, also discussing the issue of uh, genetics as it comes to um, black people having sex with white people, whether or not there are uh, in ex there are there do, does exist something called throwback genes, uh, which is alluded to in the film Skin. And uh, the third matter, I, oh, the matter of uh, uh, the adoption of black children or babies by white persons. And um, any matters that circle around those topics, so should be a good, something interesting. I hope it will be constructive. May I have your call-in number, please? If I were on my, my page, I could give it to you because I have okay. not. Gotcha. Uh, I haven't okay. memorized it. Okay. I got you. I'll get it. Give me uh, two seconds and I'll I'll pull it up, but. Uh, again, that's next that like a weekend, good show. Saturday, uh, January 16th, 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific. Dr. Francis Cress-Welsing uh, will be on Cree's program, Counter-Racist Evolving Engineer, next Saturday. Uh, tune in. I'll be hanging out. Actually, I guess I'll be uh, sitting at the ready in case the white people uh, act up again and interfere in the program. Uh, I'll have the... Uh, the contact information for support. Uh, hopefully it will not be needed, but I will uh, at least do that so I can support a non-white person attempting to counter racism uh, next weekend. Well thank, you. Uh, thank you. well, thank you very much, Mr. Renegade. Not a problem. At least I can do. Uh, oh, gosh. Let me give her a call-out number, and then you can, you can get it. The call-in okay. number for, for Cree's program uh, is – page is taking a little while to load. Okay, call-in number for uh, Crease program is 347-633-9734. One more time, it is 347-633-9734. That's the call-in number forever, so you can use it next week for Dr. Welding uh, or any other programs that she has. Lock it in your phone. You can call uh, next week, 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, uh, Dr. Francis Cresswellsing on Saturday, uh, January 16th. Go ahead. Yeah. How did the compensatory investment request turn out on Monday? Uh, Mr. Uh, Reverend Chase, uh, he did contact me via email. Uh, he asked for more information about the program, uh, about me, what organizations I'm affiliated with, what is my long-term objective. Um, I answered all of his questions, uh, sent him a reply, um, I don't know, Thursday maybe. I contacted him earlier in the week. He wrote me back, wrote him again, I think Thursday or Friday. I have not heard back from him, but I do not have uh, my MacBook Pro with the carrying case. I still <laughs> do not have it in hand. Uh, he uh, has not said anything about uh, what he's doing to get uh, the MacBook Pro with the carrying case in my hand. So uh, still still waiting. Uh, hopefully I will get that. Um, and again, as I said, uh, not losing any sleep over it. Um, I, I make an effort to be very, uh, to conduct myself uh, with some sense when I am hosting the program, to behave and to uh, be courteous with people. But I am not a nice person. Uh, I am very victimized and very uncouth. 
Uh, I am not a nice person. All the people that are talking crazy in the chat room, it is only because of my dedication to replacing white supremacy with justice that I do not act a fool and let you know what I really think on the program. But I am not concerned about <laughs> whether I get that MacBook Pro or not. It is of my least worries. I am losing no sleep over it. August 5th comes, and I don't have it. The program will end. I did what I could moving forward. As I said again, this program is still number one ranked educational program at Blog Talk Radio. You don't like what that is happening at the cows, get your yeah. own program or don't listen. That's what you can do. Gus, no problem. Now, because I, 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 I wasn't aware of this. Now, why, why if uh, by the, the fifth, you, you don't have a Mac, you can't use a, a, a PC? Or, I mean, what's I could. I could. I mean, and people have raised that. Uh, some people said, you know, that sounds like a greedy request to ask for a MacBook. For people who don't know, MacBook Pros are pretty, uh, they're top-end computers, high-end computers. I think a MacBook Pro would be in the neighborhood of 1300 bucks. Uh, I'm very aware I could get a laptop for considerably less, 300 bucks. I think someone said they had a voucher where I could get a laptop for $300. Uh, I'm in an area of the world where they have several colleges and universities, lots of students, so I'm pretty certain I could probably get a second-hand laptop here for not that much money. The problem is not that Gus T. Renegade could not solve the problem of getting a laptop. The issue is that I'm using as much of my time and energy as possible to focus on the problem of replacing white supremacy with justice. I would like assistance in solving some of my other secondary and lesser problems so that I could focus on replacing white supremacy with justice. I would like a MacBook Pro specifically because when white people do things, they want the top of the line. They don't go out and ask for nickels or if I'm going to build a house, give me the shoddy cast-off material. They want the best. I want to be able to operate my program having a great computer so that I never have to think, is my laptop going to work? Is it going to log in? Is it going to crash? I want that to be the last worry that I have. I know, if nothing else, my MacBook Pro is going to be stellar. I have a great computer, and it's not going to conk out in six months. It's not going to conk out in a year. I want a computer that will be able to withstand my counter-racist effort for at least a good year and a half, two years, a computer that's not going to be obsolete or raggedy in a couple months. So that's the request. And, again, if I'm asking too much, you don't want to fulfill the request, it's no problem. August 5th will come. The show will end. I'll be doing something else. I'll be listening to Cree's program or Dr. Sarah's program or whatever else I choose to do with my time and energy at that point. I'm not losing any sleep over it. I suggest no one else lose any sleep over it. If you can get it, great. If not, don't worry about it. Okay. That's that's one thing. I, was, I, didn't, I didn't realize what the what the situation was. Okay. No, Brian. The situation, again, just so everybody's clear, this program has been, it'll be one year next month with no phone, no computer, and no compensation. That's the situation. Victim of racism, white supremacy, and still number one ranked educational program at Blog Talk Radio. That's the situation. Racism, white supremacy, 
At any rate, did anybody have any final comments before uh, we wrap? Because I don't want this to be another program. People saying, well, they wasted all their time talking about Gus's MacBook Pro. Um, and I, I didn't even bring that up. One of the uh, callers brought that up. Gus didn't bring that up, and I think if you go back and listen to the programs, uh, I haven't really harped on that too much. I just make sure people know what the situation is and move forward. Did anybody have any other comments or thoughts before we wrap the program up today? No, it was a very constructive show, and I appreciate it as usual. When is your next program, sir? Tomorrow night at 11 o'clock p.m. What, is that Eastern? Uh, yes, Eastern time. I forget you on the West Coast. Yes, Eastern, East Coast time. Okay. So that's uh, Monday, January 11th, uh, 11 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I guess that's uh, 8, 8 o'clock Pacific, 10 o'clock Central. Uh, Mr. Thomas will be sharing uh, constructive information about finances. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Tomorrow night, check that program out. Dr. Sarah, do you know when your next program is? It's next Friday at uh, 10 p.m. Central, and I love this show. Uh, it's very informative. Uh, it's a good show, excellent show. I came away with a lot tonight. Thank you for tuning in. I'm glad. I'm, I hope it was of some value, and we didn't didn't waste our time on a Sunday. Uh, oh, Sunday absolutely evening. not. Absolutely not. Keep doing what you're doing. Will do so long as I'm able, long as white people allow me to do so. Uh, Creep, preparing for Dr. Welsing on Saturday, January 16th, 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific. Dr. Francis Crest Welsing on the Counter Racist Evolving Engineer Program at Blog Talk Radio. Anything else? Oh, did we lose Creep? Oh, man. I think we lost Cree. I'll plug our show again. <clears throat> Excuse me. If we did lose her, uh, it'll be Saturday, January 16th, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific with Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, author of the ISIS papers. Next Saturday, uh, she'll be on Cree's program. Check that out. Cree, did we lose you? Yep, I think we lost her. Check her program out next week. Thank you for uh, supporting the program as well, Cree. Uh, I uh, did want to thank the folks in the UK. I have uh, I checked uh, the stats, and there are a significant number of, uh, I, I don't know if they're white people or non-white people, but a significant number of listeners uh, in the United Kingdom listening to the cows. I hope it has been constructive. Some of them have uh, spoke with me about programs and ways they see racism and white supremacy operating in that area of the world. If you can shoot me some info of, uh, I would prefer white people. I'll take non-white people, but I would prefer to have some white people from the UK who want to talk about racism, white supremacy. Uh, someone had asked me to do uh, maybe half of a program on uh, racism in the UK. I would love to do a whole program, several programs on racism in different areas of the world. Um, just shoot me some info. Email me uh, untiljustice at gmail.com. I email again untiljustice at gmail.com. Uh, would love to uh, do a whole program on that uh, so I can get more information. Um, We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we'll have uh, David Zurin. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Dave Zurin. Uh, he is the author of What's My Name, Fool, and A People's History of Sports in the United States. Uh, he writes uh, almost exclusively about racism and sports. Uh, he talks about, uh, he goes all the way back, Jackie Robinson, Jack Johnson, uh, Joe Lewis, Jim Brown, Tiger Woods, Serena Williams, he brings it up today. He's uh, on his blog. He's writing about Gilbert, Gilbert Arenas 
uh, his whole uh, situation. Uh, he brought some unloaded guns to a sports arena. He's a black male. Um, but, yeah, he'll be on tomorrow night, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, uh, 9 p.m. Central, he'll be on to talk about uh, racism and sports. We're definitely going to get into the uh, Tiger Woods uh, situation as well. Uh, should be constructive. Um, yeah, I dig talking about sports and racism. You get to see a lot of a lot of strange things play out there, but it should be constructive. Uh, author Dave Zurin, tomorrow night, Context of White Supremacy, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. We will be back. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in and for calling. Uh, again, my apologies, uh, Mr. 720. The folks uh, crashed my switchboard as I was going to open the lines up, so I missed out on getting your feedback on the program. Uh, hopefully you can call in tomorrow and share with us. Uh, thank you, everybody, for checking out the program. Please support uh, Back of the Bus's blog, nonwhitealliance.wordpress.com. Uh, again, nonwhitealliance.wordpress.com, my blog racism-notes.blogspot.com. Thank you for supporting the program, if you found it constructive. Thank you for supporting the program. Hopefully you'll come back and check us out tomorrow and check out uh, Cree with Dr. Francis Cress Welsing next weekend. Uh, hopefully you'll be uh, doing something to replace white supremacy with justice. Uh, Gus T. Renegade, Context of White Supremacy, signing out. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.